right, good people. Welcome back to the Hunger for Knowledge podcast. As always, I'm Will Beatty. We got Rob Tibbins here, as always. Hello, hello. <laughs> and today we have um, like a special guest. You're you're definitely a special guest. Yes. You know, we got Michael Wan here from uh, SusquehannaAlchemy.com. Actually, well, hello, hello, hello. Before I get into us, because I'm about to get into this story of how like we came to this moment, but hello. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, but the geography of where the three of us are sitting right now corresponds so tightly to the story we're going to get into like it, it, it tickles me to be able to yeah. go and do this yeah it's yeah once once i saw your excitement i was like oh man like yeah this is kind of sick because i was just on the website like a little earlier and i saw something that i hadn't seen before and that was like um it was the map that was kind of like showing like uh where the Cocalico Creek starts and where the cloister is and all that stuff. And I was like, man, like this stuff, like really it's, it's integral in a way that I would at one point in time, I was a little skeptical of because once I first, let me, let me rewind. Let me rewind. Yeah. <laughs> all right. When I was about 10 years ago, yeah, around 10 years ago, I was reading the gods of Eden by William Bramley. And, um, you know, it was really, you know, it's a UFO book. You know, I was, I was at the height of my like conspiracy UFO, like state. I was just paranoid all the time, you know, and, uh, I was reading it and, uh, there was just one page and it was just so, it was, it was so weird to read it, but it said that in Ephrata that there was, uh, some of the last remaining, Rosicrucian architecture in America was in Ephrata. Now, I didn't, when I'm reading this book, like this is something I saw on Ancient Aliens. When I'm reading it, when I was reading this book, I wasn't like expecting to have them talk about something that was literally like 10 minutes down the road from me. So I'm reading that and, and that stuck with me. And it, it made me start to get into um, Conrad Beisel. Um, who who founded the cloister, and I found a a report on I think it was like someone from the University of Michigan had did a report on the cloister, and they called it uh, the name of the article was the Alchemy of the Voice at Effort of Cloister, and I started reading it, and I was just it was just like kind of mind blowing, like I, I I just didn't know that that was going on there. And, uh, you know, fast forward, you know, 10 years later, um, you know, I was listening to you on, um, the higher side chats and, um, you started talking about, uh, you know, different things in the area and stuff like that. And then at the same time, randomly, this guy I work with. He he uh he likes to go. He was at Eric Gockley. He was actually on our show. He bought me a book at Goodwill for fifty cents, just randomly. He's like, "Will," he's like, "I saw this book, and it looked like something you'd probably like." So I opened the book, and within the first two pages, they were talking about effort. 
because it was a book about how the occult made its way into the Americas. So all of this is like going through my head. And then like eventually I was like, man, I, I got to at least like try to like talk to him because it's like you're on a big podcast. So I was like, I don't even know if I should try to contact, <laughs> you know, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know if I could get through. But uh, yeah, it was just a series of events that kind of just like led me to um well i remember when i first went on your site on the first page there was like a list of rosicrucians and conrad beisel was on that list and i was like this is what like this is this is somebody who knows because i i say this stuff to people from Ephrata, and like nobody cares like nobody cares at all like they're just like what what was he doing what was he was a magician it was like no he's a mystic like trying to explain it to him but yeah there was just a whole bunch of stuff that led to this so i'm really excited to have you here well uh thank you the first question is what's the name of the book which which you just mentioned i i'm gonna i'm gonna i have to send you it it's called i think it's called occult america occult america okay I'm pretty sure, I think that's what it's called. It, it's, it was interesting. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to take that one step further, because you said about how the occult entered into, you know, we'll call it the new world. Yeah. Right? That's what they call it. And I'm going to say it's a little bit different. I'm going to say that the occult is what created the new world. And so if you go and you look at history, and this is the this is the thing which is so interesting, is like, all it takes is just a switch of uh, a slight switch of your perspective and then suddenly like all of the stuff which was put in front of you like makes a totally different story mm-hmm. it makes a whole lot of sense i, ca- I call it the sixth sense moment like if you could recall yeah, the first yeah. time you saw the sixth sense and you're like what he's a ghost <laughs> i totally didn't even get it yeah. but then all of a sudden yeah. like you look back at the movie and you're like okay now everything makes sense yeah. so from the very 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 beginning and when i'm talking about the beginning i'm saying like the english colonization of north america so the spaniards were here prior to that and if you really know your history you're gonna know the phoenicians were here and all that other stuff but we're gonna pick up like at what we think of like what you're gonna learn about in seventh grade like your seventh grade like how america started and when you look at that history and then when you get a little bit more context and you understand the players and you understand their modus operandi, like how they operate, mm-hmm. and you have to go to like a slightly different place to learn how they operate, but yeah. it's, it's accessible. Like it's not hidden. No. And then suddenly like that mainstream story begins to make a lot of sense. But if you don't have that context, you're going to be like, just like what you said, you'd be like, mm. You know, this yeah. is nothing. Like, yeah. there's, there's nothing going on here. But then, like, once that happens, like, this whole other wider picture, and maybe not completely understood, but something else comes into focus. And that's what I'm hoping that we can talk about today. Because what what is so interesting, at least to me, about this story is, like, I listen to a lot of weird stuff, and it sounds like you do too. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff you're like, well, you know, this is just one guy telling me this. I want some sort of concrete proof. And everything which we're going to talk about today is concrete proof. That there's, there's physical, it's not really conjecture. It's, it's this thing is here. And I'm sure people argue over um, the meanings of things. Completely. Completely. But, 
these things are there and open to interpretation. The so. foundation is the thing which is objective. And yeah. so, yes, we can go and be like, well, what does Rosicrucianism mean? And what does this mean and that mean? Like, yes. And that, like, you know, I love that conversation. I certainly don't know. I mean, I have my opinions. Uh, yeah. But it's like we can begin, though, from a solid fact that, like, this existed. There, there are so many stories which are, like, collectively understood, which, like, you don't know about the foundation, you know, whether yeah. it's religious or this. You're like, well, did that really exist? Or, you know, you're telling me it happened 3,000 years ago. But I can show you some stuff today, and you'd be like, well... Yeah, that exists. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's so, in my opinion, so interesting. And then when you take it one step further, and this is what where it gets really, really weird, in my opinion. And I say weird in the best way. It's like how your personal story intertwines with with like yeah. what we're going to talk about. You're like, whoa, I'm not just an observer. No. Like, I'm on the stage. You're an active participant. You, you're, you know, you're in it. Rob, what do you think about us? Uh, we're we're crazy. Me, me and Mike are crazy people. Not really? <laughs> you, you, you've heard me talk about some weird stuff. So yeah, I, no. I, I'm out. The, I go down some rabbit holes too. That is the truth, though. Like I think, I mean, I'm just trying to take it all in because I, I was doing some research and I'm like, this is this is like, I was there. I had no understanding that what was going that any of this was even going on here like like and the many things as i listen to i've never once even heard these kind of things you know the resolutions and all that stuff before we even had that conversation what was that two weeks ago somewhere around there yeah. yeah like i and then i started listening and trying to do a little research and i was like okay how did i not know at least under realize this was going on or you know that kind of stuff so it's not common knowledge. Like, it's not in the seventh grade history book. It's like, I mean, this is... uh, The best way to hide something is in plain sight. And there's a technique, and this is, you know, it's typically spy lingo, but if you go back far enough, you're going to realize, like, all state-sponsored espionage comes from, from magicians. Um... The technique which they use also is is called a limited hangout, where it's like, I'm going to give you a little bit of information. And most people are like, oh, I got some information. Oh, this must be it. But I'm going to withhold, I'm going to withhold yeah. something else. And like, that's like, that's like the rest of the story. So it's like our mainstream history. It's like, yeah, there's a little bit of information. There's a little bit of this. I know Conrad Bice, so I know all mm. this sort of stuff. But then when we start to put in the bigger picture, or the more details, the bigger picture comes into play. And I think it's really, really healthy to have like someone like Rob in a conversation between someone that, like me that's and you. True. Because you, he you, grounds you it. Need because that. we you, could spin out to anywhere yeah. because there's a lot of nutty conversation, yeah. which is fun, but it's like at the end of the day, it's like I want something like tangible. Otherwise, you know, it's yeah. just fantasy. Yeah, I mean, people have to still be able to um, relate to it. And I think when you start to get into like the occult world and like magic and things like that, that's when you start to lose a lot of people because they're just like, that's not real. (laughs) Like magic, in most people's minds, magic is not real. And to to certain people, it absolutely is. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like on cartoons. Yeah. yeah, Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Disney, Fantasia. Like, and and if you go back to the time of, of like the 1940s and the 1930s of when all of this was coming out, there, there, there's actually, uh, when Disney came out, there was, he had like a big competitor who was, and I can't recall the guy's name, but he was like the largest, uh, uh, cartoon creator of the time and all of his stuff is like really 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 like in your face like magic occult and the disney stuff not so much and disney became for whatever reason like the mainstream understanding of um of of at least the cartoon or animation world but the point i want to make is the, the Disney, the tagline was, I want to capture your imagination, mm. capture the imagination. And imagination is everything. Imagination is how we understand internally the physical world. And the reason why capturing the imagination is so important, and this is also said by Walter Lippmann. Walter Lippmann was one of the founders of the, of the propaganda movement, him mm. and Edward Bernays. Yeah. They yeah. said, I want to control the pictures which people paint in their minds. Because if I can control the pictures people paint in their minds, I can control how they understand reality. Mm. So this goes back to like Disney and like the cartoons and what you're saying is like, if I'm going to make it child's play, well then people are going to think it's child's play but at the same time like I'm telling you the truth like if you go and you watch Fantasia mm-hmm. and you watch it with someone who's very very well versed in the occult or mm-hmm. magic they'll be like that's right and that's right and that's right and that's right and that's right wow. they're telling you everything I... but it's presented in a way like it's child's play <laughs> don't take this seriously affecting people when they're kids too so they're they're starting young you know? yeah. ding 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 you're spot on but that's the thing I think uh, about somebody like disney like that it's so interesting to watch the way that that like they they kind they're like they sort of run the world like they they in the sense that they sculpt minds Mm -hmm. and then not only do they just have like the kids but they keep it running into a person's adulthood Without a doubt. And that's the reason why I think that they had to start coming out with those different, you know, those live action <coughs> movies. Because you know, then just... that, because it, 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 it's, it's no, they're not going to get any, like my kids right now, like they won't watch like 2D cartoons. Like everything they watch now is 3D. Like, or, you know, yeah, or 3D. Yeah, yeah. so as the technology went on, they had, they had to realize like people aren't gonna watch Mickey Mouse like on like a, a flip book. You know, nobody right, wants right. to see that. Let's get the best thing possible, and then like it's indistinguishable from reality now. And I would and I would say Disney and 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 I want to segue then back to this in a moment, but I want to point this out because we're talking about a couple things, different things, but they're actually all I, I think on the same foundation. Um, and I think it's important, or at least it was important to me to like take concepts. Like we're talking about ideas right now. And then you're like, okay, is this real? Have I seen that in my personal life? Mm-hmm. So I've got two boys, an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. And I can remember when they were probably like, I don't know, like one or three. And you know what it's like to have young children. I mean, yeah. you're losing your mind in the middle of winter. And I take them to the friggin' mall because I'm like, I got to get out of the house. <laughs> and it's January yeah. and all that. And I take them to, to Park City Mall, right? Mm-hmm. 
and I'm walking around and we don't go, I don't take my kids to the mall for a lot, like, you know, purposefully. Like, I don't want to put that in their consciousness for the exact same reason which Rob is talking about. But we're walking around, I'm doing my thing, and the whole mall is like, every mall is designed to capture your attention, like visually and like, uh, and with with aromas and with sounds. And I'm I'm paying attention to my children because I pay a lot of attention to like details. And my kids are like looking around and then suddenly they they stop in their tracks and they can't take their eyes off of the store we're in front of. And it's the friggin' Disney store. And I'm like, how is that more interesting than Spencer's across the street or this or across the across the the hallway? But there is something, and we, we don't, I don't want to go down to that, yeah. <laughs> but there is, there's an understanding, there's a sophistication there's and a there. knowledge of the science of how it is to capture the imagination. That's a thing. Which, yeah. which, which like, they, they've done. And just like what you said is, like, it is a lifetime capture. And I'll, and yeah. I'll give you another example. Like, yeah. Viacom, uh, you know, it's a little bit different now because, because of... Um, uh, the way which we receive media has changed so drastically in 10 years. But like going back 10 years ago, Viacom, which owned Nickelodeon, MTV, and VH1, it's like, I got you soup to nuts. It's like, I got you Nickelodeon until you get old enough to like move over to MTV. And then I got you in, in, in VH1. And what it is, it's like, it's, it, I don't believe it's like a conscious type of like, we're going to go and control your mind. But at the same time, it's like an understanding of I'm going to capture the attention of the audience. And as they change and mature and the normal process throughout being a human being and maturing that I got something for you at <laughs> every stage of the game. You know, you know, Disney just bought Marvel Studios. There you go. Yeah. So all the, all the, uh, um, Avengers and Garden Galaxies and all that stuff. I heard somebody say that they believe that like things like the like well Marvel in general and comic books I guess are kind of like a modern mythos. Like they're they're like the myth. It's us mythologizing um, certain aspects of our culture. So they have things like Captain America, like mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. things that embody these concepts mm-hmm. that are kind of telling the story of our time. Uh, I would take away the word kind of. <laughs> I mean, but, but again, like when you hear someone say that and you have not like like read like the reason why beforehand and then gone and 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 verified based upon your own analysis and you're like okay what am i looking for like that sounds like nutty it sounds like but if if you actually go through and you can take that 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 concept and i would say it we see that um we see that definitely in in marvel or in all of like the stan lee type of 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 comic books like the the each one of these these different characters represent different archetypes in the same way yeah. the Greeks did it with the different gods. You know, I'll take a step further, and and this is my idea. I mean, I'm just I'm just parroting something which I've read and then verified with my own uh, with my own analysis. And it's like you see the same thing with stars, like 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 celebrities, like certain celebrities are embodiments, or at least they are presented throughout their entire trajectory of work of partaking into certain archetypical qualities. And what that does is, from a viewer 
because we all have these different archetypical energies. Yeah. We're talking like like Carl Jung sort of stuff. It's like we're gonna resonate with what's natural in us. Like you know, we talked about dogs beforehand for a little bit. Like dog, like every dog breed has a different type of of archetype. Like some are protectors and some are like yeah. really nice around. Yeah. Some are little yippers and some yeah. are attack dogs. And like the same sort of thing. And we have that within us. And so when we see. Uh, uh, a superhero or we see a particular character and that is an archetypical resonator and then in our subconscious where we carry it because we all have these archetypes like we're like yeah I just like that and it's like yeah because it's like tuning into a radio station it's a frequency thing you pick up on that yeah you use it when you try to pop into a certain frequency you use it as reference and you'll be like oh uh uh, if you need to be strong, be like, oh, think about like the Hulk. <laughs> if you're <laughs> if you if you're knowledgeable, yes, that's exactly what it is. It's like when you're not knowledgeable, it just happens in the background. You go about your life. You know, this is what would be like, oh, you know, you're you're in a trance. Yeah. I mean, I would suggest we're all in in like some degree of a trance, but there's there's different degrees. Mm-hmm. But as one becomes like, let's say, more aware of of this environment, and when I say this environment, I'm talking about life. It's like um, when we become more aware of the rules of what it is that we're living in, then you can become a little bit more skilled with the tools which are out there. Yeah. And part of it is archetypes, like we're talking about. Absolutely. It's like, if I need to go and tap into, like, Hulk, well, like, how do I tap into <laughs> yeah. it? Like, this is what actors do. This is what that's method what do. actors that's do. It's they like, do. they become an archetype. Yeah, that's what they do. How about, uh, what's the name? One, uh, the Joker, the guy that died. Oh, exactly. Yeah, he's he's you, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I don't know if you remember. uh, So there was like a really interesting um, quote from Jack Nicholson. And so Jack Nicholson played the Joker prior to Heath Ledger's uh, playing it. And I guess like, what is it? TMZ, like one of those like paparazzi type. Uh, They were like, they were shooting Jack coming out of the Ivy or some like LA sort of like hotspot right after um, uh, Heath Ledger died. Like literally like, an hour after that news hit. And they're like, hey, did you hear uh, Heath uh, or Heath Ledger died? And Jack says, like, before he even knew this happened, so it was, like, purely, like, reactionary. He's like, well, I warned him. I was like, when you're going to go and step into that energy, like, that's some dangerous stuff. And, it's you weird. know, you see, like, some of the actors, like, particularly the older ones who, like, were able to get through, like, but that's the definition of of being an actor is the ability, I mean, it's channeling of an archetype. The The Greeks knew this, the mystery plays, like this has always been like part of the, the human experience. And there've always been people who have dictated the story for the masses, whether it's yeah. done through, through movies like Hollywood and the magic of Hollywood or Disney, or whether it was the Greeks or whether it was like, you know, going back to the middle ages when, when Catholicism was first like, you know, forced upon, uh, the, the, the peoples of, of, of of Europe who were not members of the Roman Empire until the Roman Empire took over. It's like, you know, you're going to be participating in this this story which which I'm feeding you. Yeah. And you become it. Yeah, and you become it. And you it. become it. You become it. I remember the last two Halloweens um I dressed up as the Joker. And <laughs> like I was all like I had like I remember like two two Halloweens ago I had like this green afro like 
I, I think I had like this long wig, like the last one, but like I remember we were going to this. We went to Norristown for this Halloween party, and on the way there, me and my wife stopped at Chick Fil A, and like we're eating in the car, and like there's this kid, like he like you know he comes out of Chick Fil A and he's going into his car and he's parked next to us and like he walks past first and then he like comes back and he's looking at me he's like and he's like and he laughed and I was like that was the whole point I just wanted somebody to respond to this this is ridiculous like but um it's weird though because when you look in a mirror as the Joker there is like you said there's an energy that comes with that it's a it's weird i guess maybe for me like i get into characters and things like that but when i was like looking at it i started to like like what does the joker like think like what is what's his mind frame like what is he how is he seeing the world and then like that begins to subtly affect you yeah and it's 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 weird it's an energy thing like i'm not just saying it's just like that for the joker but anybody who can open themselves up to embody an archetype um that's it's it's an interesting feeling <laughs> well we talked about this like before we went on air and we talked about like being on a team yeah and something happens when you put on a uniform mm-hmm. like it might be a little bit different or less extreme than than like wearing a costume but like this is whether you're putting on an athletic uniform whether you're putting on a military uniform but uh you're stepping into like i'm stepping into yeah. my costume and i'm playing this i'm playing me through this role <laughs> yeah. and like you know yeah. and when i talked about earlier so let me take a step back i liked how you said the rewind <laughs> I'll be the first one to admit, I do not know anything about this environment which we live in. Like, how do we get here? What is here? What is a human being? Who invented us? Who designed it? And 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 I'm not interested in that answer. I don't think anyone necessarily has it, but I hold the, um, I hold the mental space, which is, I don't know, but I'm effing curious. Oh, yeah. And so when you begin to, when you can hold it in that position, you can begin to look at things like archetypes and uniforms and costumes and characters and all of these different things. And you're like, I want to bring this back to... Anyway, I keep, I keep yeah, looking to the at si- it because I can keep I, going on this. We could I briefly this. checked this out uh, on the site. This was on the site, right? Is this the... This is the, the John Smith map of Virginia. So we're going to go back to Disney. And so most people are going to know about this from the Disney movie Pocahontas. And if you know your Pocahontas, well, well, welcome to Disney. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> but, but that's what it is. So who, who, is, who is Pocahontas' love interest but John Smith? And that's who we're talking about right now. And I'm going to go and say this right now, and I'm, not, I'm just going to drop this as a little thing. Like, I don't believe John Smith was. Because John Smith, if you look at the legal definition, John Smith is the legal definition of a placeholder name for a name which we do not know. It's like we're like, this is the John Smith. And where did that come from? It came from the same guy who invented the John Smith map. So I don't know who John Smith is, but this is called the John Smith map of Virginia. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context with this. Um, So the colony system uh, was... 
English colony system of the New World, which became the United States, it began with Jamestown. It began with Jamestown, and then, like, I don't know, like 20 years later, then there were the pilgrims up in what we now think of Massachusetts. But Jamestown's where it began. And Jamestown represents the very beginning of the British Empire and the very beginning of the English of the of the United States. Mm-hmm. So so it's very important to understand the significance of beginnings. Like no matter what it is. Like, no matter what it is. The beginning, <laughs> like when you need to know that's the foundation. So it begins with Jamestown. And within Jamestown, the the leader of Jamestown was John Smith. And that's like where the whole Pocahontas stuff, it, it kind of came from. All of that, everything associated with John Smith, in my opinion, is as real as a Disney story. Like when you go and you read his background, I read this, I'm like, I don't believe this for a second. It so, sounds fantastic. I read where they said that he was, I, and I didn't know this until I saw it on your site, that he was the like appointed the president of Jamestown or something. So, like, I mean... Like, I, I mean, it's just interesting because it's like, if they're going to say stuff like that, what are they... I guess I'm trying to see where did you where where did you come to like thinking that he was is like this guy's not even real. Well, like, I've been studying I've been studying this stuff for a long time. So because of that, my brain, the way I interpret information, is kind of coming from like a little bit of an occult perspective. Yeah. So I'm immediately looking for for like there's certain things which capture my attention, which would very much go under the radar of other people. They'll 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 focus on something else. Mm-hmm. Um and it began with it began with my connection with the river, which brought me to this map, which then brought me to oh, the John okay. Smith. And then I'm reading this. I'm like, I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> wow. But I'll just tell you this real quick before we go on to this. So if you were to read the story of John Smith, it's like, here's this uneducated guy who from from England who leaves home at age 16 and he becomes a pirate and then he goes on the battlefield uh fighting the fighting the 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 Moors and was so powerful on the battlefield he because he 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 decapitated all of these guys heads that he was given a uh um he was he was made an, a sir and then he was captured by the enemy, and then he he was able to escape and make his way all the way back to England. And this is all by the age of 18. And then he goes and he joins what's known as the Virginia Company of London. And the Virginia Company of London was given a charter by King James, like King James Bible, King James. And the Virginia Company of London, the 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 gentlemen who were behind it were um, they were merchants, they were businessmen, and they were given the rights to go and colonize the New World from the thirty seventh parallel to the forty first parallel from sea to sea. And so they're like, all right, well, we got we to gotta raise money and we're going to build ships and we got to get supplies and we got to get a whole bunch of people. We're going to get two types of people. We're going to get adventure capitalists and venture capitalists. And if you know anything about like kind of like modern financing, like that term is still in, still in, in play. Like still... A venture capitalist is someone who just in, invests money. Yeah. They're like not actually like go into the office. They're like, hey, I'm going to give just you some seed some money. money. Right. Same thing. <clears throat> so, so these guys were looking for adventure capitalists, which meant like, yeah, I'll get on the boat and I'm going to go to this new world across the sea where I don't know. And then there are other guys like, here, I'm going to go and throw some ducats in. And so John Smith was this, was, he was like, I'm an adventure capitalist. 
And what we gather from the story, the mythology around John Smith, his real skill set is this guy has a major, uh, amazing courage, great leadership abilities. Like this guy's like, and he can like figure out whatever situation. That seems to be his skill set. Mm. So they get on the boats, they're three boats, they leave on the winter solstice in 1606, and they set sail, and, and it says that they sailed for 144 days, and like, you're starting to like, if you know like the numbers, mm -hmm. and the re what the numbers I'm talking about are like in the King James Bible, uh, and we'll get back to that in a moment, but mm -hmm. it all goes back to the same people, like you start to see like the same sort of like clues, the same symbols, the same numbers. And so it says that John Smith and all these other guys are going across the ocean and John Smith does something where um, he's thrown into the stockade. They're like, all right, we're going to lock you up. You broke the rules here. And once we go and we find land and we get established, we're going to execute you. I'm like, all right. So, so imagine this is a real story for a moment. Imagine you're <laughs> yeah. in that placement. Like, you're like, all right, this is the second time. Because the first time you were locked up in, in, in the odd, uh, you were locked up somewhere uh, by your enemies and you're escaped. And now you're locked up again and you're, you're looking at sure death. And they all land and they eventually get to what we now think of as Jamestown. And they take the guys out. But there was a sealed envelope there was a sealed envelope by the executive uh, council of the Virginia Company of London. None of these guys are going to be on the ship. You know, they like yeah. live large out in London. And on that sealed, in that sealed envelope was, this is going to be the leaders. These are the three leaders mm. of Jamestown. So they open up the envelope <laughs> and John Smith's name is on that, is on that, uh, on that letter. Ooh, and they're man. like, well, I guess we can execute you. So we are, we're taking you from the guy we're going to kill and now we're putting you in charge and i'm like i'm reading this i'm like this is a it sounds Disney. like some it's comedy yeah, yeah it sounds like, like a disney yeah, friggin yeah. movie so like that's how it kind of begins but then also if we're going to go take a step back and we're going to get into this in a moment the people who are behind the virginia company of london the people who are behind this john smith map of virginia they also are the same people who are the architects of what's known as modern Freemasonry. And so part of the, the, the initial Freemasonic ritual, and I'm not a Mason, um, but you could read this stuff on, on, on Wikipedia, right? Yeah, part really. of like the initial, um, the initial ritual is you go through this Hiram Abiff ritual where you are going to be killed the death, yeah, and then the you are read yeah. the resurrection yeah. exactly and you and you start to be like wow this is the same story i hear over and over and over yeah. again regardless of culture regardless of religion regardless of that and they're telling the story of john smith and this is the same friggin story this is a guy who's sentenced to death who's then resurrected and he's put as the leader it's almost like sun worship. This that, story what, of the sun right. going dying away, every night and setting, and then back. like yeah, exactly. Like it's it's a yeah. It's, that's it's all Egyptian. That's yeah. a that's a real like uh, that's like an international motif. Like it's it's that just plays out in so many different places. I would agree with that completely. Was was John D? Did he did he create the charter? Okay, so John D. Yeah, John D's yeah. about. Uh, I say that like people know, who, like, but I don't know. That's because I'm I'll, weird. I'll, I'll say this: you're 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 100 spot on. John D. is in the lineage of this, 
And so John Dee, for the people who do not know who John Dee is, he was Queen Elizabeth's advisor. So Queen Elizabeth was the monarch prior to King James. And John Dee was an astrologer, an alchemist. He was a magician, but he was also uh, her, her, her primary spy. Yeah. And he used to write letters to her and sign at 007. He's so James Ian Bond. Fleming, yeah. like he's doing... He was also the guy who... Um, is behind all of this. He was the first person to apply Euclid geometry to navigation, which is why the British were able to leapfrog the Spaniards and the Portuguese in the age of discovery because they understood they understood navigation better than anyone else because of John Dee's knowledge, wherever the hell that came from. Nope, yeah, the, anything I've ever like heard about him, there's like he just had like they didn't explain where, like, who his teachers were or anything like that. Like, he's like, really mysterious. <laughs> well, the best thing you're going to get is, like, the Enochian magic, yeah. in my opinion. And John Dee was the, the visionary behind the, the British Empire. And Jamestown is where the British Empire began. And I'm That's, not... It starts, so... At so Jamestown. That is the beginning of that empire. Well, I mean, it's... So it's a little facet. bit su- it's a little bit subjective. Like you'd be like, well, the British Empire began here, began there. But that being said, um, the British uh, Jamestown was the first permanent settlement outside of the immediate area of like um, the British Isles, yeah. and so it is recognized by many archaeologists and historians as this is where it began. Like mm-hmm. you know, so it's like I can say like this is the birthplace, and I can show you like you know people who are who are much more ver- well versed than me, and that's where I'm coming from. But if you want to go and split hairs and be like, well, I think it's there. I'm like, right well, okay, it's subjective, but but it there's a sense, solid though. foundation. So yeah. there's a solid foundation, and it makes sense for this overall story. And so this being the birthplace of the British Empire, and I want to clarify this, um, I, am not, I am not supporting the idea of empire building. You know, I find that, I find that um, it goes against my understanding of what it means to be human, to go and take over other people and that sort of stuff. But, That's how, yeah, I, but I, that I, being said, united in that, that, being, that being said, there have been a lot of people who've wanted to take over the world and build empires and, and no not. one built a bigger empire than the British Empire. So for that reason, like talking like pure, like like skill sets, it's like Ty Cobb, the ba- baseball player, yeah. horrible human being, but an great, amazing ball great, player. Great, and so it's like, I can recognize him as a ball player, but I can also recognize him like where his, human, his humanity was. I think you and need so- to teach everybody <coughs> in this time that lesson. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We're all learning, right? Yeah, you know, these days, I think sometimes people kind of get swept under the rug because it becomes apparent that they're not perfect. That they, you know, they, they, you start to see their flaws, and then people want to kind of blow their flaws up instead of kind of recognizing the person in their totality. Like, you know, you can be uh, horrible in certain regards and still be great. That's an important lesson. Or recognizing <laughs> like, what their skill sets are. 
you know, yeah. and yeah. like not even valuing it, but like this person was exceptional in this area. Yeah. They may have been despicable in that area, but but, it, but yeah. I, I'm Don't understanding. Yeah. I'm able to take out my emotionality in terms of my analysis. I mean, that's the definition of propaganda. Propaganda is to get people not to think from the rational mind, but to think from the limbic or the emotional mind. Hmm. To be like, I'm not going to get, because I emotionally do not care for that yeah. person. I'm going to write off everything else. Yeah. So John D. So so John D. began the British Empire. Uh, the British Empire actually takes um, form at Jamestown, and John Smith eventually becomes the. He was initially identified as one of the leaders, but then became the president, the primary leader. And so this is all like 1607 to 1609, and during that time. Like once Jamestown began to become established, and this right here, this corner right here, this is where we get the Pocahontas story on the, the Powhatans. <laughs> but he traveled throughout the Chesapeake Bay, what we now think of as the Chesapeake Bay, and he made this map which sits in front of us. And he, he was there with, uh, during his, uh, um, his, his travels, his surveying, like there was a, a map guy. I don't know what, you, uh, what, I can't think of the word. of Cartographer. The, there we go. Yeah, yeah the, he was a cartographer who like made all sorts of notes. Um, uh, John Smith, whoever that may be, or at least this is the story which is given to us, he leaves, he leaves Virginia and returns back to London. And two years later, this map is released and this map was released in uh in 1612 Hmm. so now let's add a little bit more context so the the executive council of the virginia company there were i think i don't know like like 25 50 dudes who are on there a bunch of guys who are on there but there's one guy who is rather significant and the reason why i say he's significant is because he's the one who wrote their charters and he's the one who presented on their behalf. Hmm. And this gentleman's name is Sir Francis Bacon. And Francis Bacon also happened to be the right-hand man of King James. Some people might recognize the name of Francis Bacon. He is the father of the scientific method. He's been thought of to be the true author of the Shakespearean works, the lead, the grand master of the Rosicrucians, yeah. he, the architect of modern Freemasonry, like uh, an immensely, immensely, immensely significant person as it relates to modern legal system. Like, if I you, I think I was thinking about Francis Bacon when I said that about John D. I think I just like flipped their names. Because Francis Bacon uh, is, yeah, he's the contemporary of that time. Like he's the he, he yes, and and but but they're linked. They're linked. They, they I've always they, there's always a link between them, there's even a, though they're separated by like uh, what, like a hundred some. No, like, not at all. They're not. They like overlap, really? and so I want to say like uh, so there there is very very limited historical information that places. Bacon and D in the same place. Like they, they played in the same circles. They both okay. were in like these royal circles. And there is, I believe, one entry in John D's diary where he once mentions Francis Bacon. But other than that, there's very, very little. There there is a, a, a legitimate theory, and when I say legitimate, like I'm like the logic behind it, I'm like, okay, that makes sense, which is John D is actually Francis Bacon's father, like all sorts of stuff <laughs> like that. But regardless where they are most specifically linked 
is with their relationship with the Order of the Rosy Cross or the mm-hmm. Rosicrucians um, and with the establishment of the British Empire. And so going back to John Smith, John Smith comes back and he's the leader of, of Jamestown. And so it just makes common sense that when he's going to come back to London, he's going to go meet with his bosses, right? Mm-hmm. And who's the boss's boss but Francis Bacon because he's the one who's writing the charter and presenting yeah. with them. Like, it's just common sense that these guys inter, um, they, they overlapped with one another. And so at the time, so this is 1612, this map came out. 1611 was the, um, was the release of the King James Bible. And the King James Bible had an immense, an immense, an immense influence on the consciousness of humanity. Like this is the first time like the Bible was given to like the everyday man. It was written for the everyday man. And also the King James Bible like introduced something like, I don't know, like 8,000 new words into the lexicon. Hmm. There, are two, there are two vehicles which are the transition from Middle English. Like you've heard of like, oh, there's Middle English and we have Modern English. You're like, well, how did that happen? Yeah, well, it happened through the King James Bible <laughs> and through, through the works of Shakespeare because so much, so much, so many new words were added. And so John or, or Francis Bacon was the final editor of the King James Bible. There are all of these different, I believe there were 39 different authors of the different books of the King James Bible, you know, rewriting and interpreting like the Greek texts or what have you. And then they all gave him to King James and King James was like, what am I going to do with this? You know, I'm, 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 I'm busy running the, I'm, I'm running my kingdom. And so he gives it to the right, his right hand man, Francis Bacon, who's like the, like John D were thought of the most intellectual men throughout all of the European content continent at the time. And Francis Bacon sat with the King James Bible books for like two years and he made all of his different edits and he changed his words. And like, there's so much information about this. Like, you know, if this is new to you, like if you go and you look at like all of the Rosicrucian and then what's eventually became Freemasonic symbology written into the King James Bible and all of these codes and like if you count this many words you yeah, get like, like that is all within within the the King James Bible and that occurred during the two years it sat with Francis Bacon and that is what Francis Bacon was known for and this was the the style of that time it was known as steganography it was the the hiding of secret information in public in public documents and there are a lot of reasons why they did that, but without getting into the whys and their like different theories, it happened. Yeah. And so I wouldn't just hold it to it happen. So we got that going on. And then we got John Smith returning and he's got this map. And he's like, hey boss, you know, like here are my notes. You know, <laughs> because it's John Smith. What's yeah. John Smith's skill set? John Smith is like, I'm an adventurer and I'm a leader. I'm not an intellectual. <laughs> Francis Bacon was like a dandy. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, like, it was like... He's just back, like, just chilling. Like he <laughs> but he was, like, he was great with plays, and he was yeah. great with, like, words, and he was like, but he's not going to go out into the wilderness and fight all, like, you know, behead all these guys. But, he, but like, they work as a team. This is what we do as people. It's like, you know... It's we, his actor for his... It's the actor for his... For a story, kind of, that he's, that he's somewhat... I mean, because you could say he constructed a large part of what society became with that book 
I mean, I'm going to say, so I'm not saying this is actual, but we're going to use this as a metaphor. Maybe it's literal. So there's like a idea which is kind of floating out right about now that like maybe reality is just a simulation. We're living in a simulation. So, okay. Like, I, you know, how would you know we're in it? But if that were true, if that is true and we're living in a computer simulation, I would say the person who is credited as Francis Bacon was a major OS upgrade. Like, oh, so he was... He was. Uh, he changed he was life. Yeah, he was just altogether different. He there was changed no one else like life so drastically. If we look at our modern world, if we look at applied technology, if we look at like like law, we look at at globalism, we look at we look at modern secret societies, we look at all of this stuff. It all goes back to this one individual. That's what history tells us. And so I'm like, well, that's what like a major OS upgrade is. Like you know, if you got like a Mac, and they what I like about Mac is like they give names to it versus yeah. like Windows. <laughs> <laughs> which are just numbers who's like oh yeah this is like you know this 10, is this 12. is francis bacon <laughs> you know yeah. this is the francis bacon yeah. and like i believe Fra uh, ben franklin fb and bf uh is like you know maybe not quite as big of a os upgrade and again is this metaphor is this literal i don't know but i'm playing with it but that's how significant francis bacon was on our modern world he completely changed how it worked in the same way that a major os upgrade completely changes the way which everything, which all the applications which run upon it um, change. So that being said, and, I, and I'm going to stop, I'm going to get to this one point because I know, I, I think Rob's got like a question or a comment and needs to ground this for a moment. <laughs> so, so we got Francis Bacon. We got like, we know that he, he like, he has his hands on all this stuff and he put secret information and he got this map. And this map is a very significant map. This was, this was the most significant map for the area. And this map covers like what we now think of as Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York. For 80 years, this was the primary map. And none of, that actual, none of those names existed in this, when this was created. Or, or, I believe or, Virginia was. Well, except for, yeah, except for maybe Virginia. Except for Virginia, but for the Virgin was, Queen, who was Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, anyway, yeah. And that's who it's named yeah. after. That's who it's named There's after. But you're absolutely Virgin, right. I, uh, Virginville. I just passed it. The you you find all kinds of the Virginville intercourse. Yeah. Bird in hand. Blue that's ball. my favorite one. Bird in hand. I was Bird. like, what? Blue you ball. named this town after Blue Balls? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is where we live. <laughs> this is where we live. It's like these people had some real. Some real issues in there. <laughs> you go back some back roads, driving back yeah. roads, you find some weird... Do you think they're being funny, or do you think that, like, I mean... This I thought it was all tongue-in-cheek. Like, when they would name something Blue Balls, or Bird in Hand, or Intercourse. I think that that was... Could you can't mistake that. You can't. Of course, you can't. There, there's no... You know, you can't just be like, oh, I meant to call it something else. No, you, you name that place Symbolic Intercourse. or something else. Like, <laughs> I, I think that... I think that I think that there's there's definitely a humor involved with the naming. It would be yeah. I, I'd love to know what like that'd be an interesting thing to figure out. Like why like you're there these the people day, just have sex like, on yeah, the brain all day. Let's just call it blue ball. Like my idea? girlfriend left me. Yeah. <laughs> Name I'm this place. Blue I'm moving balls. over to that, that spot over there. It's nobody owns it. I'm just gonna call it blue ball. <laughs> I'm done. But it, that's the thing about this, this, you know, just every, like I was talking to my dad last night and we were talking to him, like I was telling him about you and, you know, you coming on today. And, uh, 
I was just thinking about like you know things like the Susquehanna, like the Susquehanna River, like that has nothing to do with like the people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's owned that it's named the Susquehanna, but it's owned by whoever. I don't know who who because we were thinking about it, but it runs in like at least what two or three different states. It starts in New York, and you bring up an amazing point because this map is what named it Susquehanna. And what I mean by that, like other people called it Susquehanna. Uh, Prior to this map, like it depended upon who you spoke to, like, you know, what tribe of people. They all had different names. But this map established the permanent name. It established because the 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 Lenape had a different name for it. And 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 the Susquehannocks, they had like 10 different names. The French called them the Andaste and Mm. they were also known as is is the uh, um, the Minqua by the Swedes, and so there. This map is significant because it's solidified in the consciousness of like this is what okay. we name things. And yeah. you go back to the King James Bible. We go back to the Bible. We know about the importance of the word, and we know about the importance of naming. God names and right, the and there's something numbers. That's the thing. So let me go back to this because I want to. We we talked like an hour. We haven't even gotten into this, but I think it, I mean I've been having so much fun. This is what so if you here. go, so so here's the whole thing. We got this map. We got Francis Bacon. We got it's got a real purpose, but there's a hidden purpose. And within this map, I'm gonna say that encoded within it is a secret location. We're going to treat this like a hypothesis because that's what Francis Bacon taught us with the scientific method is like you have a hypothesis and then you go and you test it. And then you're not emotionally tied to your hypothesis. You make, you see what the results are. Are they repeatable? So, okay. So, so Rob, I'm going to show this to you. This is the map right here. And it's a little bit, a little bit confusing because here we have the Chesapeake Bay, and north is on the right. And most maps nowadays are oriented with north. Hmm. So, so this we have north here, and across the top we can go and see there are the different latitudinal markers. You can see them by numbers. Yeah. And tell me if any of them like kind of jump out at you. Just the numbers themselves. The thirty-nine. So we just saw. So this was an amazing reference. So so this was right in front, like right in front of Rob's face, right? Mm-hmm. And I like told him where to look. I told him exactly where to look. And he was like, well, you know, whatever. And I'm not putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Go look at number 40 right now and tell me if there's anything interesting. Look at the number 40. Yeah. Oh, zero four. And it's mirrored. Backwards. It's friggin' yeah, backwards yeah, yeah. and mirrored. So this is one of the on ways. On map. On the friggin' Like for map. what reason? Like, uh, so it's like, but, but, but what Rob demonstrated was how easy, this is how the human brain works, is like you just expect to see 40 and you're going to, if you're not really, really looking for the detail, you're just going to look you right over. You just fill it in, your mind. That, that's, what, your mind. Right, that's what we do. And you, you were even saying something about 39, but... And, which is close sense. to the 40, yeah. but the still the 40 didn't even register. That is, yeah, that's So crazy. that's like how you hide stuff. So and yeah. it's not just backwards. So so I go and I see this, This it's not just backwards, zero, four. The four is pointing in the wrong direction, meaning it's mirrored. And that is one of the techniques within all occultic practices, which is the mirroring or the inversion of yeah. something. So like immediately when I saw that, like this is like what, five years ago, I'm looking at this online 
as I said before, like my, my mind kind of has a context already for an esoteric and occultic way. Yeah. I know that this is connected to Francis Bacon, all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, all right, that's a reverse 40. And I go and I type into the the computer box and I'm searching upon it. I'm like, why why the F is the 40 backwards on the John Smith map? Tell mm. me now, computer. And nothing. I'm like, what? There was no there were no results in my Google search <laughs> about the reversed 40 on the John Smith map. Now this isn't like some random like hidden piece of like history which like I found in my grandmother's basement. Like this is like, you know, this is this is this is a very significant piece of history. Yeah. Why isn't anyone writing on that? So immediately I'm like ding 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 and look a little bit uh, felt a pulse. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at yeah. a little bit of pulse. So I'm going to cut to the chase just like kind of out of um out of the sake of time so this book here which i'm showing you right here have you ever heard of that book no but i used to listen to manly p hall so um, so what, what what's the title we'll read the title the secret teachings of all ages by manly p hall I, and actually i've definitely heard of this book this is manly p hall's like magnum opus this is what he's known for and you go in here and so I'll give you the, the, the subtitle is, what, what is it? Do they have it even on here? Okay. An Encyclopedic Outline of Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian Symbolical Philosophy. Yeah. And so I had this book for years and never have I read it. Like, I mean, you pick it like, like okay, it's, it's intimidating, pretty, it's right? Big, it's an intimidating You're like, book. it's like, it's the worst book in the world. Like, I'm never going to read it. Like, I flipped through it and it's certainly interesting. I've read like maybe some random stuff, but I never had a purpose. But I'm like, all right, now I got a purpose. Hit the index. <laughs> and you go to the index. And so the indexes are the most important. If you ever want to know what a book is about, yeah. you go to the index. And what, it's, it's this simple. Whatever's got the most entries, that's what the book's about. And we can go see right here, and let's see, uh, da, 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 da. like from here, starting right, you see where my finger is right there, all the way down to here. The, this whole section, this is all about different things and multiple listings on each of these entries on Francis Bacon, like five inches of like Francis Bacon. Like Francis Bacon is like a major player in this. And so I use this book in reading everything about Francis Bacon. What it does is it went into very, very detailed um, analysis of his techniques of steganography or hiding secret information in public documents mm. don't mention this document at all but, but it's it mentioned francis about, bacon yeah. so it's like you know i can put one and one together so i use these techniques i look at this and i come to my conclusion my conclusion is there's a secret location in there which makes sense like if you're going to hide something in a, a map you're not going to hide like your grandmother's recipe for like no. uh for brownies you're gonna you're gonna hide like a location yeah. and so i'm like there's a secret location and what i'm going to suggest to you it's our hypothesis and there's so much information i could do like two hours just on it but i'm not going to bore you it is the susquehanna river at the 40th parallel that's why we got the reverse 40 that's why this big susquehannock warrior is right there with his strange words underneath it the susquehannocks are giant like people thus attired I remember you uh, saying that uh, on uh, the the higher side chats, and I was like, "Oh man, like that's yeah, that's." that's Why would you crazy. say that? Like, what does it like? What value does it, every inch of this map can is is thought thought out and conveys information, and so much 
real estate is given to this Susquehannock warrior, which I believe is a woman. Hmm. And that's another topic altogether. And then you're going to put something as nonsensical as they're giant-like people and they dress like giants. Unless there's something else going on. So this is how we test the uh, hypothesis. And so we're going to go and test the hypothesis. And we're going to go... And I'm just going to cut to the chase here. We're going to go and look at the most literal interpretation of the 40th parallel of the Susquehanna River as possible. We're going to begin with that because there are about 70 degrees between, or 70 miles between degrees. Like 40, okay. the 40th degree, like 40 degrees, zero minutes, zero seconds is like right here. And 70 miles north of it is going to be the 41st degrees, uh, the 41st degree. And the, the difference is measured by minutes and seconds. Like that's what it's called. So we're going to look at 40 degrees, zero minutes, zero seconds, as literal as you can take that. Is this, uh, does this have anything to do with like uh, High Point Park? That's exactly what That's we're what, talking yeah, about. That's, what, That's yeah. exactly. So let's go take yeah. a look at this, uh, Rob. So right here, we're going to start by looking. This is the satellite view, and this is 40 degrees, zero minutes, six seconds. And you can see looking from on top, there is this, this park. And this is about a half mile from the western bank of the river. And we see, like, would you say that looks like a, a crescent moon and a sun? That's what I was thinking. And so look right here at this, at this symbology or this, this artwork from the Middle Ages. And you see over and over again the same sort of symbols. It's because within alchemical, which a lot of Rosicrucianism is based upon, like the practice of alchemy, the crescent moon and the sun are very symbolic. So now we have this like connection, like, okay, well, if this really is a... Um, a hidden location connected to Francis Bacon and Rosicrucianism and John Dee and all that. And then we're going to go and look at it. Well, I'm going to say we got a hit. Like, maybe it's something else. Like, but but we, we're seeing something that like, okay, that makes, that makes a little bit of, 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 of sense. So I'm like, I want to investigate this a little bit further. And so now we're going to go and like, let's dig a little bit deeper. And so High Point Scenic Vista, which is the name of the park, which we're talking about, it came about in a very, very, like, normal way. Like, there was, there was, like, it came about through eminent domain because there was a real estate developer who wanted to build houses on there, and it turned out to contain uh, remnants of human beings, and this is no Native American burial grounds, and so legal up on the hill right like yes yeah okay. like the bulldozers came they're like we're gonna go build houses we found some skeletons <laughs> okay. and they're so like we can't, can't do this yeah, you yeah. can't do that they step it the the county of york uh government steps in through eminent domain they're like we're gonna buy this land off of the off the real estate developer and uh eminent domain is like you don't have a choice like right. we're taking yeah, it right. but we're gonna give you money right. but like what they gave them was like he was like no this is ridiculous you're not gonna give me this money so it became like a big deal was the point i'm hmm. trying to make like this wasn't like secret this was yeah it was on top of open. it, it was, and yeah. eventually like all that works out and the park opens up and the park opens up and was like kind of like a, a quiet opening because there's like a lot of like bad blood associated with it and the only thing i could find which actually mentioned the date of the full opening was this one blog spot this blog uh post by this guy right here and he says high point opens on may 12th 2007 
And so that exact same day in Jamestown is the celebration of the 400th anniversary of the establishment of Jamestown because on May 14th, 1607 is when Jamestown was established. Hmm. And so this isn't just like a normal, like, oh, we're at Jamestown, we're going to shoot off some fireworks and like all the folks from like Virginia maybe could come around. Like this is significant enough that Queen Elizabeth II shows up. Mm. Remember, Queen Elizabeth I is where it began. And the Bushes are there. And there's a whole bunch of other dignitaries. And, you know, I used to live in Washington, D.C., and they would always shut down the roads when dignitaries would come by Mm. because when dignitaries travel, like, it's a big deal. And so you don't just, like, show up at an event. This is planned years in event. This is a very, very big, this is a very, very... um, significant enough event that Queen Elizabeth is going to come to it. And it's on the exact same day that High Point opens up, which is at the same location as um, what I'm suggesting is hidden in the John Smith map, which corresponds to Jamestown. And so we're going to take this one step further. And Kabbalism, which is, you know, in the most general sense referred to as mystical Judaism, There's a basic code known as gematria, where all of the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet have a numerical value. So words have numerical value. This is where, like, if you've ever heard of, like, the Bible code and all these different numbers, this is where it comes from. And so within gematria, we see the very last letter in the Hebrew alphabet right there, tav, it's got a value of what? 400. Of 400. So this is exactly on the 400th anniversary. And 400 means completion. Because it's the completion of the alphabet, you know, yeah. it's it's also the beginning of the it's the beginning mm. of the next cycle. So whether that's four hundred breaths or four hundred seconds or four hundred solar cycles, like that's significant. So, and we're not even going to go into this in this particular conversation. But what we're seeing, or what I'm going to suggest we're seeing, is the completion of a ritual, a kabbalistic ritual that began with the establishment of Jamestown and concluded at the opening of the High Point Park 400 years to the day with the alchemical symbols. Hmm. And what do you think is the connection? Like, what do you think is, what what was, what is it concluding, I guess? What it, what... So if I were to go to that, you'd smack me across the face and you'd be like, you are nuts. <laughs> no. So no. I can't go there right okay, now. It's like, right, I gotta give right. peace, peace, but peace. I, I, but I, like, I, if I were to go and give I'm you intrigued. piece by piece by piece by piece, like once we get there, it's gonna make logical sense. But if I were to go and hit you up and hit with your listeners what I think is the conclusion, yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, be like this dude no is friggin' nuts. <laughs> So here, Rob, you got to look at this right now. So this here, I'm showing Rob a map of this is the Susquehanna River, and this is the Chesapeake Bay. And you can see in this map that they are the same body of water. So what happened was 12,000 years ago, this, the, the Atlantic Ocean rose, and it flooded the lower valley of the, the Susquehanna River. And so right here is where the transition occurs from river to bay. This is where Haverty Grace, Maryland is. But this is the same body of water. And right here is Jamestown. And right here is the 40th parallel. 
So what we're seeing happening between these two events is very big public like uh, spectacle celebrating the 400th anniversary and this very, very quiet one. We see them on the same body of water. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I want to show you something else. Dun, dun, dun. So we see right here. And this here is a list of the estimated ages of the oldest rivers on the planet. And you're going to see here there are only five rivers of the millions of named rivers on the planet that are estimated to be more than 300 million years old. Do you recognize any of those names? Well, the Susquehanna. And none of the other ones you're going to recognize, like the Nile or the Amazon, right, or the, right. like all of like the, the brand name, like yeah, the fancy they're rivers. Not, they're they're, all they're the, recent. The right. Amazon well, they're more recent. Well, more recent, yeah. But, but it's like when, when you talk about like rivers, like, oh, like, like important rivers. Nile. It's like yeah, Susquehanna. Well, yeah, it's like the Susqua. What? <laughs> but like we're starting to see right here. We see that there's like, okay, like there's this, it's in a very, very rare, rare crowd how old does it say it is what is or it estimated? The fifth oldest. well it estimates it between what uh, are those dates 260 so i actually watched one of these but the this was one of the videos of yours that i watched and i actually wrote that down in my notes as like you know usually i take notes of like kind of significant things when i'm watching stuff so yeah it's it's 250 260 to 325 that's like the that's yeah. the estimate like and, yeah. and to put in yeah. context like the chesapeake bay formed like 18,000 years ago. So it's like nothing compared yes. to like the overall. And there are like, f there are a whole bunch of rivers that are listed. And they all have like a range. So it's like, and we don't, you can't cut a river in half and count the ring. So it's like, you know, there yeah. are ways which they're estimated. So we are working with a little bit of like, of like, of nebulousness. But we know that there, there's something significant here. And one of the reasons why we know that this river is so old is because it predates the Appalachian Mountains. And the Appalachian Mountains are known to be some of the oldest mountains on the planet because they're so squatty. The mm -hmm. older the mountain it is, the squattier it is. Oh. The newer it is, the taller it is. But uh, like, you know, sense. through erosion so and stuff think, like yeah. that. And if a river comes after a mountain chain, because water takes the path of least resistance, it's going to be like, oh, here's a mountain chain. I'm going to go and turn around it. You could go and see that with the Andes and the, and the Amazon. Like the Amazon does like a 90 degree turn where it meets the Andes. But the Susquehanna goes through the river or through the mountain chain, excuse me. Yeah, and so we know that it predates it. And so we know that because it's, because it's it. in yeah. the middle, because yeah. if it came afterwards, it would go around it. Dang. So we yeah. know that. It, so we have a general idea of its age. And then we have this other thing right here. So we've got this. We've got like, I've got on this map, I've got like these little diamonds here. And this, very interesting. This is yeah. what these, what are known as Herkimer diamonds look like in, the, in real life. Like they're not cut. They look like this. They're perfectly faceted pieces of quartz crystal. And there are over 15,000 known places on the planet Earth where quartz crystals form. But what makes this different is they're double terminated, meaning that there are points on both ends. They grow horizontally as opposed to vertically. They just grow like that. And there are only like three places on the planet where that is known to occur. And not just that, these have water clarity and they're really hard. And so without like bringing into like any sort of like mystical like crystals or like magic power stuff, I'm just saying like, I don't care 
what culture you're from, I don't care what time you lived on earth, if you're walking along a path and you see one of these, you're going to be like, I'm going to pick it up because I know it, this is special. Yeah, it's not. Like there's something like special. And we here. find these located right at the, at the, at the source of this river, which is like one of the oldest rivers on the planet. It's kind of like strange because like uh, I was at Raystown and I've been trying to, I don't know where to find quartz. So I was, and I've been wanting to get some because I'm going to start building these tables. And uh, part of what I'm going to do with the tables, I want to, I'm going to have quartz crystals in the tables and stuff. So I was like, I'm all new to this. So I'm trying to find out. And then I saw that. I was like, man. This would be some really nice quartz to put in the table. Herkimer you know? Diamonds, badass. I think I'm going to New York and I'm going to start searching. Anyways, uh, which was just kind of weird because that was just been going on for like the last two weeks. And then I watched, this is one of the videos, like I said, that I watched. And it was just strange that I watched that one. And they're talking about quartz crystals and stuff. And it's just, to me, it was kind of, you know. A strange thing to happen, but I, I would I would say there's a synchronization which is occurring when you begin to look at your life from from maybe like a step beyond like your own experience. Yeah. Like you can begin to see like these things, like oh that's kind of weird. Like maybe it's not so much weird as much as like there's always like you know some sort of guiding principle. Yeah, so that's what Erica was trying to tell me happened. He's like, because we were talking about it, uh, that's the guy who got me the book and. You know, we were talking about it at work, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, there's that's there's like weird stuff like lining up, like there's different things happening, and like it's funny because I'm I'm at a point I think now where like I could actually step back from it and be like, oh yeah, there are things like there's things like working, there's energies moving, and it was it was interesting. I don't know if it's maybe um it feels like it's been happening more, or maybe I'm just more receptive. When you pay to attention it. to it. It's one of the same. I think when yeah. you pay attention to it, you realize that it's been happening all your life. And, and then it happens it, yeah. more. And, and then, then it, it happens, happens more exactly because, because you, you can recognize it. it, but it's been happening forever. Like, you know, because I, well, I feel like the things. second part of my life is like I was never in school. I never paid any attention. I didn't have when I was last three years of school. I don't even think I went that often. <laughs> So, you don't even think right. I'm like I just didn't go you know because but it like, bores the hell out of you yeah it, it was, was never interesting and he, like and now you had a kid man like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I already had a kid and it, it was like school was an afterthought but like somehow I was just like just give me my, my diploma so I can move on to the next thing yeah. but now like these last couple of years I've just been like the educational part of my life like this is right now I'm getting yeah. an education which I that's what I want and that's what I love so like this part of the educational part of my life is just so interesting to me that like all this stuff I'm learning. No so, one's forcing this information like, onto you, and just that's what I've learned in the last hour. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, you just, just learned a whole lot of sandwich. stuff. Yeah. I'm just taking it in. All right, well, let me let me go. So so what what I'm just trying to establish right now is like this is not any ordinary river. Like for whatever reason, I'm not saying there's like that means anything. I'm just like you know. Every snowflake is special. Like every human being is special, but there's only one person who runs faster than everyone else. There's yeah. only one person who's the oldest planet or, or the That's oldest person on the planet. Yeah. And there's something extraordinary about this river. And we're beginning to see this stuff happening here. So now I'm going to give you one more, one more uh, piece of evidence of the significance of this location. Because we're talking about this, this, very, this ancient river, which is marked by this very unique uh, uh, mineral deposit at its source. And we're going, we're going back to the 40th parallel at the Susquehanna River. And this right here 
is quite literally. In fact, we'll begin with this. This is probably a little bit more fun. So do you recognize this map? You know where oh, we are. Yeah. I drive past all this stuff every day. All right. And so I'm going to show it to you too, Will. And so what are we looking at right here? I go down 283 uh, every day. 283 and 30. It's the Susquehanna River. It's York, right. Lancaster. It's all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's the border. And so right here, uh, right here is the 40th parallel. The 40th parallel is, uh, and this is another topic, but we're not even going to go into it, right where 999 dies into 441, right? Reverse 144. Yeah. Remember we talked about the 144? Yeah, numbers. Okay, and 999, end of the cycle. So right here, like quite literally, this is the 40th parallel. You can see that's where high point is. And we can go and see, I'm going to point out a couple things. Like you see that right there? That's your yes, college. Yeah. All yeah. right. You, you see that right there? That's FNM. That's FNM. And, and where do we got? We got this right there, right there. And so, but you don't really recognize, you don't recognize from this map that they're aligned like this, that there's a perfect T-square alignment between York College, Franklin and Marshall College, Elizabethtown College, which also includes the Masonic homes or Masonic villages, all on the epicenter of High Point, and these were built hundreds of years apart from one another and without the technologies, or at least which we would understand. Yeah. So I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting this stuff was happened happen consciously. I'm just going to leave it like this for most people. I'm like, it happened. Mm. And the more you go and you look at it, you can see there is more structure or more like supporting evidence that there is something of significance here because this is too perfect. That sun and moon is too perfect. This location on the four, opening up on the 400th anniversary of Jamestown is too perfect. Now, how that happened, like, you know, we could discuss that all day long. But what we're not going to be able to argue about is that it occurred. Yeah. Okay? It absolutely occurred. I mean, it's there. It's physical. People can go and see it. Um, but like I said, a lot of people, the it's open to interpretation. And I think you come from a point where you've, you've done the research to actually make a, an assertion. Because, you know, to a lot of people, they just be like, oh, yeah, there's, that's just a park with some stones. They'll say, oh, they, they wouldn't even know that it was close to the 40th parallel. I didn't even know what the 40th parallel was. I was trying to explain this to my dad last night. And he's like looking at me like I was dumb. And I was like, it, listen, it's, 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 so, it's so a nothing's thing. ever been discovered at the other location. though. We'll look at that. Uh, well, Here. well, well. Again, like that's that's a rabbit hole, which is fascinating. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure that one out because there's a fourth point where you're like, well, what's there, yeah, right? right? I've driven like, through there. I want to go there. Now. It's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just cornfields right now. Um, but I want to go. To, I want to bring this back to Ephrata because that's yeah. where we began, okay. yeah. and that's where this is going to begin to get like some more solidity. Um, but I, I also want to point out. So I began like doing this research. And like you, I, I don't know what the 40th parallel was. Like I'm reading this, I'm like, well, where's the 40th parallel? When I went and I figured out where it was, and I realized I literally live there. I live in Marietta, Pennsylvania, which is right, right here, yeah. right here. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like what? So, okay. 
So now let's go. We're going to talk about rows. We're not even going to talk about what the Rosicrucians are because that is too confusing. But we're going to recognize that there's this thing. They're called Rosicrucians. Mm -hmm. What they said in their documents in the late 1500s was that their purpose was to change the consciousness on the planet. So that's what the purpose of everything which they wanted to do. So, okay. Mm -hmm. So we know that John Dee was a grandmaster. We know that Francis Bacon was the grandmaster. At least the books tell us that. And this was 1607. 1607 was the Francis Bacon time. So now let's fast forward to 1694. So in 1694 is the arrival of the first outward or, or publicly known grandmaster of the Rosicrucian order. Like in, in, in the New World or in Who came to the New World. So I believe there's one, one grandmaster. You get one grandmaster. And this grandmaster, he came to Philadelphia. Is that uh, Kelpius? That's Kelpius. Yeah. If I had like a prize, I'd be handling, handing it to you right now. <laughs> so you got this guy Kelpius and he arrives. And this is guy, like you could go and read all about him. Yeah. So he goes and he arrives in 1694. And he's fascinating, and they set up this they set up this this temporary structure, um, in at the at that time, which was like out in the wilderness surrounding uh, Philadelphia. It's in current day Germantown, and there were they built this structure and they called it the Tabernacle, and it was forty feet by forty feet, and it housed forty men. You know, forty was really important to them. And they were there for all sorts of different reasons, and they, they communed with the stars, and they meditated, and they did all sorts of different stuff. And then um, Kelpius dies. Like, mm -hmm. he, he dies. He actually dies. Tuberculosis, I he, he, di he died on um, his birthday, on his 41st birthday. Oh, man. So, like, he completed an entire year at age 40, and then he dies. He died. Now, again, wow. like, you know, I question wow. all this stuff, because all these guys, like, oh, like no. so... So, so, but, so this is the history. Like, this is what, the, what I, I like to begin with Wikipedia. Like, that's the baseline because Wikipedia yeah. is what you're supposed to know. And if it's on Wikipedia, <laughs> yeah. we're like, okay, at least we're supposed to know, particularly stuff like this. So um, they tell us that. And shortly after he died, there was a guy by the name of Conrad Beisel. And he came wanting to join uh, Kelpius's... Um, Kelpius's commune, yeah. which was known as the Society of the what the Wild Woman of the Wilderness or the Woman of the Wilderness. It's it's escaping me right now. I think this is 1720. I think I think he came here in 1720. If I'm right. not mistaken, because when you said correct. 1694 that they came here, and that, then I know he came looking for Kelpius you, in like 1720. You've done your homework. Something I'm very like impressed. <laughs> so, so he comes and he arrives. He's like, "All right, guys, I'm here. Let's get the party started." They're like, um, "Kelpius is dead." Yeah, and like since he died, like you know, you know, stuff just kind of fell apart yeah everything was falling apart <laughs> but, but, but and this this is from what was the guy's name i believe his name was conrad mathai and conrad mathai is like listen i was kelpius's boy you know, i was his i was his confidant and and what 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 you need to do is you need to go west you know philadelphia is growing and this isn't where you're going to go and you go west and don't build like any of these temporary structures i want you to build something permanent this is a part of the story that I didn't know. I didn't know where he got the direction to come out this way. So I added in a little bit of my own, like, 
artistic stylings to it. But what is known is Conrad Mathai, the or what what is part of the historical record is that Conrad Mathai told Beisel when he arrived looking for Kelpius that you go out west and you build okay. something mm. permanent. And we do know that Mathai was Kelpius's um uh his top guy. He was yeah. his, his spiritual um confidant. And Kelpius goes and he goes west and in 1732 he establishes the effort of cloister. And so if you were to go to the effort of cloister, you'd be like, I'd like to go and see your Rosicrucian room. They'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. They don't know any of They'd this like, stuff. Sir, if you're going to ask us again, we're going to have to ask you to leave the premises. <laughs> and if you ask us a third time, we're going to tase you. You know what I mean? Like, that's not part of it. But if you go and you look particularly at what's known as Amwork, which is the ancient mystical order of the Rosy Cross. There are a lot of organizations, modern organizations, which are claiming... It's a PA, right? They're headquartered in, in the San California. That's the Sandy because I know that there's two because there's the there's the, they split. There's and this was something I came across uh, just like on uh, I think on YouTube or something. But yeah, there's the one that's in because they have like a museum or something out there mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. But then there I, I want to say Quaker Town. Somewhere, There's something in Quaker Town where all the pyramids are. In that, in, where oh, the pyramids are. Yeah. And it was funny because when I was telling you earlier how I went to this, uh, I went to Norristown dressed up like the Joker. The people whose house I went to, they're kind of from that area. Quaker Town? Well, then they're, they're the, 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 uh, that around region, that area. That region, okay. And it was funny because at one of their parties before this, years ago, um, I was talking to somebody, you know, I like to, you know, I like to get in, I like to get in as deep as possible. You know, sometimes it's a little bit too much for people and they go the other way. But there was a guy, he was listening to a conversation I was having and he's like, he's like, you speak like a Rosicrucian. And I was like, I didn't even know what that meant at that time. I was like, I didn't know what the Rosicrucians were or anything like that. And I was like, what does that even mean? But it. Later on, my wife pointed out that it would maybe make sense that he would be kind of cognizant of Rosicrucians if, like, he was a friend of theirs from that area. It, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I want to go there and visit those people. There's, uh, you're right. There's a there's a, a place in Quakertown. Um, it's a different Rosicrucian order. So yeah, there, there are. I mean, I know of just from my research, like maybe four or five different one, different Rosicrucian organizations, all of them claiming to be the, the authentic. The one. They're the, all the ones. <laughs> that is the Rosicrucian modus operandi. It's subterfuge. It's confusion. And it's like purposefully like allowing like fakes to come in because they want to hide it. Like it's part of like uh, the mystique. Yeah. Like it's not, that's not a limitation it's like part of the puzzle. Yeah, it's so, necessary. So, <laughs> so Amork, who I was talking about, so I'm go- they are probably the most recognized of the different organizations okay. and primarily because they got the most amount of money. That's what it seems like. And so like we're in a world right now where money talks. And so I'm not saying that means that they're the most, that they're the official Rosicrucians, but I'm like, but they're the ones who've got the most amount of bankroll. And so, and they're the most recognized and, know, and known one 
a Rosicrucian organization. And so within Amorc, they sp- and they're headquartered in um, basically Silicon Valley. In, hmm. in, in California. They're about four <laughs> miles sense. four <laughs> miles away from the Google headquarters. That would make sense. And I'm going to tell you this one more thing. We're not going to go down this, but I'm going to add this. This, this is the location of the first computer. This is where uh, the computer technology um, industry began at Aberdeen Proving Grounds. And that first computer is called ENIOC, the Electronic Numerical Integrator Arithmetic Computer. And it is phonetically... A phonetic match to John Dee's magic, which is known as Enoch. So this is Enoch. And when you begin to go and look within the computer technology, uh, like D-Wave computers, uh, and and you begin to see Sun Microsystems, and you begin to see all this stuff. Enochian magic and... You, they're, they're talking about going into other universes pretty much with this D-Wave stuff. Like, we, like we, that's pretty interesting. Enochian <laughs> magic, when you can read what they said it does, it is exactly what what quantum computing says it does going into parallel dimensions yeah. or what CERN does. Like when you can kind of like step back from like, you know, how can this be that? And you're like, well, look, it's the same players. They're in the same place and they're using the same symbols and they wanted to change consciousness on the planet. They wanted to change the way people experience life and thought. Well, this is a big part of it. But where I was going with the Amorc is they're the ones where it really comes from or where all of the information comes from, Beisel being a Rosicrucian. This is a really, really interesting document, which which you see here. This is just like the, the front of it, but it, it goes into great detail. I don't know if you found this in your research, Will, but you could find that online. It's like 70 pages of analysis of the history of the oh, effort of Cloyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to check that out. And you'll see that it's like complex. Like it's not as like is cut and dry. Like oh, they're a bunch of Rosicrucians. They came here and they wrote Rosicrucian stuff on the wall. No. It's like some people were and some people weren't, and there was infighting and there was splitting and like all of this sort of stuff. But the point of the matter is, is what we're seeing happen is the same continuation that began in 1607 with the establishment of Jamestown, and then we see that there was a temporary. Uh, a temporary establishment happening in 1694, and then a permanent one happened in Ephrata in 1732. And so this is where we're going to go and bring it all together, or at least this piece. All right. So if we go to the Susquehanna River, and we're looking at, at where we're talking about right here, we're looking at this map, and we see right here, I think this is right here, this is where the Conestoga River empties into the Susquehanna. It's where uh, Safe Harbor Dam is. Are you familiar with where we're talking about? Somewhat, yeah. And this is where we find Big and Little Indian Rock. Are you familiar with those? No, nah, uh, but I've been, I mean, Safe Harbor Beach, right? Is right there. A lot of people go to. Mm-hmm. I've been to the Safe Harbor Beach, that so, area. So what you're going to find right there is a very, very high concentration, the highest concentration of petroglyphs anywhere east of the Mississippi. They're all located. There are hundreds of boulders in the water right here. So we are downstream of the, uh, of the, the dam, just downstream. And what we have right here are the only ones which have carvings. There are thousands of carvings that are on there. And I'll show you this as well. And... These carvings were really significant to 
to a gentleman by the name of Talakiel. And Talakiel was a, um, he was an elder. Oh, I don't have it. I was hoping to have like Talakiel's sheet with me. Um, from Mesoamerica, from Mexico. And he was a, a spokesperson of all of these different indigenous tribes. And he was raised to be, he was raised to be a leader. If he was taken from, he was not raised by his parents, but he was raised by more or less like, uh, from the way I understand it, at least, like, you know, from other elders to become an elder. And he was given a certain type of, of training. He was given mm. the, the, the true history, the oral history of his people. And he was particularly interested in this location of these petroglyphs. And mind you, no one knows who made these petroglyphs. When the colonists first arrived here, the people were living here like, I don't know who made them. They, they came before us. It's always happening. <laughs> and this is what Talakia was interested in. This one particular petroglyph with this gentleman right here with these large hands. That's Humak. And that is the symbol of... Um, that is the symbol of... Well, let me see this guy. Right here. Is the symbol of, of a key figure within the Toltec, within the Toltec mythology. It was the final king of the city of Tula. I'm looking around because I thought I brought this one sheet. And I'm disappointed I don't have it because it's, you know, it's, got, a lot of, uh, um, it's hmm. got a lot of good information. Or it just backs up what I'm saying. So anyway, the, the point I want to make about all of this is that these petroglyphs were not just significant to the folks that were living in the area at the time of the colonization, mm. but there's also a connection all the way over the other side of our continent to like what we now think of as Mexico and the Toltec nation. Mm. Uh, it's my personal opinion that probably what the John Smith map was pointing to was these petroglyphs, because that's basically at the 40th parallel. So now I want to tie this into the effort of cloister. So uh, there, this the there's one particular um, petroglyph which is located right here. So right on, I believe it's this one, and there is a carving of human feet in like human scale, not like like little feet, but like you know you like, can put but, your yeah. feet in it. Like hey, come and stand here and place your feet. And if you place your feet there, the orientation of your body is going to be looking straight up the Conestoga. And it is on this line right here. And now you could see I've taken the same map and I've put the same like the same the same right. symbol and I just extended the line. This is where the feet is and you can see it looks straight up the Conestoga. Like there is a there's a message saying go up the Conestoga. The Conestoga is something that's interesting. So here we have the Conestoga right there. And right here we have the Cocalico River. And it's right here that we find the Ephrata Cloister. And so in the simplest way, and you know the cloister is like right on the Cocalico Creek. It's right there. It's like, so if you just go downstream, like you, you, you hop on, you're going to come exactly to this spot. Um, the funny thing is, um, we had a guy on uh, my buddy Dean. And I was at Dean's apartment, and in the back of the apartment, the the coca it's like it there's like a literal space for like kind of like the yard, but then right there there's the cocalico, 
And when he took me back there, he's like, yeah, I just like to chill out here. He's giving me a tour. And um, I was looking at the Cocalico, and I was like, this, this like, does go right by the cloister. Like, that positioning, it you know, it's completely purposeful. They, like, they <laughs> built it to be, for whatever com- reason. That's why I said something about that obelisk. Because that was kind of that was the first thing I actually said to him. Like I, I was telling him about that. I was telling you about that obelisk there. Because I was just like, it just seemed odd to be that close in that close proximity to the cloister, seeing that these people were Rosicrucians and that you have this piece of Egyptian architecture sitting in a cemetery. I, I just didn't, didn't look right. <laughs> So, so I, w- I want to comment on the obelisk because it's fun to like also like make this story personal because that's part of it because it's my interpretation and understanding that this is a this is a big this isn't just like oh a bunch of interesting coincidences and stuff like that like this ties one hundred percent directly to what life is like on Earth particularly the role of computer technology globalism. And a couple of other things. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, I don't want to go all the way there yet because it sounds it sounds like kind of nutty. We're, but, but we're we are I guess we are nutty. You know? All right. <laughs> well, let, let me go in and in, in, in two things. So Kokalko, one of the things which was so significant to to Lockiel was the name Kokalko. Kokalko and Kokalko. So Kokalko is is we're told that it's a Lene Lenape word, which means den of snakes or house of snakes. Hmm. In the language of Nahual, and so Nahual is the ancient language of the Toltec. Okay. And, you know, this was the indigenous language yeah. of, 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 of what we now think of Mexico. Cocalco means house of snakes. And Cocalco is very significant within the creation myth of the of the 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 Toltec people for on Snake Mountain is where life began on Earth. And so when he sees this connection like this, like, uh, you know, two different language sets like uh, the Lenape, they spoke uh, it was an Algonquin language, Mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with Nahual, but it's phonetically the same and has the same meaning like he's like okay like there this to him like in the same way like i'm looking at this from my point of view like i'm seeing all of these things which are solidifying like there's something of great great significance right here and he's seeing that also from his understanding and i would say that his understanding is much richer and deeper than mine because mine's based upon wikipedia yeah really you know he, he he's been getting told these stories, you know, he was trained on that. And he came here, I believe it was like over 20 different times throughout his career. And he traveled throughout the entire planet, teaching and doing like whatever his mission was. But this particular place on earth was very, very significant to him. Yeah, it's interesting. That's, (laughs) and you would never really, the people, like people who live around here, they would probably be the people who to least believe this. Without a doubt. Because they, they, it's just so... It's such a... It can become like a mundane existence. It reminds me kind of like uh, that show Stranger Things where like there's all this normal stuff going on mm-hmm. on the surface, but then there's 
certain people who are kind of getting like these communications about like, oh, there's other stuff going on here. And I guess it would make sense. Like, <laughs> My friend, I would, again, take away the word kind of. <laughs> I would say it's exactly like that. And if you can, if you can like take a step back and like say like this is kind of like a metaphor and be like, well, maybe that's literal and maybe that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Lancaster City, established two years after Effort of Cloister, 1734, James Hamilton. Who's James Hamilton? Major Rosicrucian. If you go and you look at like the Lancaster Treaty of 1744 and you see like what happened there and you begin to look at the history of Lancaster City, and you begin to look at what has happened here and the influence of what it has had on the planet, and then the organizations which these people were in, you're going to see a very, very common thread. Was James Hamilton president? Uh, there was... Uh, what's no, Hamilton? no, James Hamilton. No, the, the, no, the Hamilton, Andrew. Of, uh, but there is a pre- there's a president buried in Lancaster, and I didn't know that until... There's a president buried in Lancaster? There's a president buried in Lancaster. I don't know who this is. This just happened the other day. I was in Lancaster. I'm driving, and, like, just by chance, like, I looked over. You know how they have, like, those little blues signs yeah, or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Some, I don't even know what president It would it have was. to be Buchanan. Buchanan would be the only one was it would it? be. Yeah, was I don't it? know where. I didn't realize he was buried in Lancaster, yeah. but, like, you know, he's he lived here. Buchanan is, okay. Buchanan's at, like, he's a big key to the puzzle. <laughs> He yeah, is a big key to the puzzle. Yeah, I just saw that just the other day, just driving where, to Lancaster. Where was he buried at? What? I don't know. I don't I, like. It was one of those things where we were driving past it, so I like caught yeah. a quick glimpse of yeah. it, but I didn't know that before that. that, that there cool. is. It's so. Do, did you ever? Are you familiar with um, Indiana Jones? Yeah. All right. All right. I gotta say one thing. Because this, right. this is kind of crazy. Like, all right, hit me. I listen to all these podcasts. I listen to all kinds of stuff. And, like, I make a, a try, an attempt to listen to interviews that people have that are, like, from other countries that, like, can witness these things going on, you know. And it's crazy that, like, I'm always trying to listen about all these other countries that these things go on. And I live in a place where all this kind of stuff's going on. They don't even realize it. Like, before we had these conversations, I didn't even realize. It was no, it, yeah. You know, so to yeah, me, no it's kind of crazy, though, like, that I'm always looking in different places. And the, and the reality of the situation is, like, I live it's in an area. There. That it's there. There's, there's just, something down the street. There's something from you. going on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I would say that's true for all of us, and we can all find yeah, something locally, so. but this is particularly... Right. So, so uh, uh, let me go back to the obelisk, then I, I want to go to the Indiana Jones thing. So Will, sent, Will and I were like sending some emails, this is like a couple months ago, couple months going ago. back and forth, and he's like, there's like this obelisk, which is right by the after cloister, and like, do you know about it? Would you find it interesting? And I had just been doing like uh, some research and reading like this analysis, this guy out of... Um, out of Ireland did about the major obelisks on in North America and how they're being used to like influence the energy on the planet because they're like on key spots. Mm. And that's not really my hot button, but I'm open to it. I'm like, yeah. you know, that, that that's like, it's, re- in, the, it's, that's, in, the it's, it's, yeah. it's in my territory, yeah. but I tend to go somewhere else. Yeah. But so I, so that was already in my, in my head space. So I'm like, all right. And I, and so we went back and forth and, um, and we were talking about meeting up, and it didn't it didn't come about. 
But right around that same time, like I was driving to go see one of my boys' soccer games. And they were playing up at Cocalico at High Cocalico. School. And yeah. so I'm driving up there. And I think it had been like a couple weeks since, since you and I had last exchanged. And as I'm sitting in my car, like, I was like, oh, I'm in Efferden. I remember the conversation. And I'm sitting at a light. And I'm like, oh, okay. Will said that there's a cemetery. It's near Ephrata Cloister. Yeah, right and, there. And, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. And like, all of this is going on. And I'm looking around. Like, I'm, I don't live in Ephrata. Yeah, like, I've right, been here yeah. before. And like, I'm like, oh, where? Oh, the Ephrata Cloister. And I look to my right. Like literally to my right, I'm at the intersection right of of yeah. I don't know the names of the Do, roads yeah. of uh, uh, that's Academy, Academy and, and uh, 272 and yeah. 272 and I'm like there's a cemetery and then I look and I'm like there's the friggin' obelisk and like that's what like the type of synchronization like there's nothing like so special like you know lightning bolts are coming out of the. Uh, um, out of the uh, uh, sky, but it's like if you're not paying attention to the details, you're just going to go and miss it. Yeah. I, I, so let me just say this, and then I'll, and then and then I want to hear your comments. So, um, Indiana Jones. There was a there there was a, a third movie, and and he goes. It's called the Last Crusade. Yeah. All right. And if you remember, he's looking for the Holy Grail. Yeah, okay. He's yeah, looking that's, for the Holy Grail. Nice. And he's going through all this sort of stuff and Nazis and Paris and blah, 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 blah. And then he eventually finds himself. He finds himself um, in this cave. And he is, he is coming face to face with a Knight Templar who is to guard the, um, the Grail. And he's like, the only person who can find it, he must pass all these different tests. He's got to drink out of the cup, right? He's got to drink yeah, out of the cup. The, he has to, yeah. the, he has to the find that one cup. He's yeah. got, and, so, cup. and there's like all yep. of these cups right yep. there. And you can see all of these skeletons of people who drank yep. the wrong <laughs> cup. And like, you drink from the wrong cup, Indy, you're going to be like that. And so Indy, Indy's like, and, and, and the, one of the Nazis drinks the wrong cup. And so you see all of these cups and like each one is more glamorous, more yeah. beautiful than the next, like gold and rubies. Yeah. And then what was the cup that was the right cup? The carpenter's cup, right? It was the carpenter's yeah, cup. The there was nothing showy and... to it. There was nothing in your face. No. And so, and we never went to the full story of this, but the, the story of the Susquehanna River and what we're seeing here I think is best expressed in that metaphor because it's not showy. It's not what you it's think not. it is. Like we've been, we've been conditioned to want to see like, well, how, how can anything of significance be right here in, in Pennsylvania? Because, you know, it doesn't have all the glamor. Yeah. I, I mean, but that's how you hide things in plain sight. You, everybody, you know, I have dreams of like uh, going and, going down the Nile River or something like that. You know, that's just like some pipe dream or right, something like right. that. But it's like the, the reality of it is, is that like you, you know, you're looking at that, but you live close to one of the, like the oldest rivers in, in the world. And like you said, it's not dressed up like that, but its significance is becoming, you know, more apparent. <laughs> In some ways, it is dressed up if you know what to look for. Like right here, this is the birth of globalism. This is where the British Empire and this is where the United States began. And in the most literal sense of however you define globalism, it has happened through either British companies, American companies, or the infrastructure which was created by the British Empire. 
right here on this transition. This is where the very first computer was. It's where the computer industry began. Right here where these three rivers come together in Sunbury, PA. This is the very first place Thomas Edison built a, a power plant and a building which, which receives three-wired um, electricity, three-wired electrical distribution. Right here, this is the birthplace of Mormonism within the, 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 uh, the Mormon belief. Joseph Smith was baptized in the Susquehanna River right here. Right here is the Baseball Hall of Fame. We could spend a whole show in the Baseball Hall of Fame and its relationship <laughs> with Theosophy, H.P. Blavatsky, and all that sort That's of stuff. Wild. So right here, at the endpoints of each of the river, right here, Baseball Hall of Fame induction weekend, uh, Groundhog's Day, the NATO celebration. So NATO's headquarters are right here. We have these three different secular, national secular holidays, and they all fall on dates which are very, very significant. They are the midpoints between solstices and equinoxes, which are the ancient holidays. There are eight days of holidays, four, two equinoxes, two solstices, and the midpoints between the two. And that's when you would do your, your rituals. And we begin to see this ritual happening on this river. And when you take in consideration the significance of what was called river goddess worship or river worship, which was practiced by every culture, a little bit different by each culture, but all the cultures on this planet practice it. And you see all of this on the oldest river and you see what has happened afterwards and you see, and we're not even going to get into like all of the astrology, but like the significance of what these three world firsts, because we talked about the importance of firsts, mm. you're beginning to understand what was happened and what that 400 year cycle was about. Hmm. And so with that, gentlemen, I'd like to just open it up to any other questions or comments because this is a this is a ton this is like you know this is we just had like a full college semester like, wow. feel like, yeah, feel your like brain that. should be spinning it hurts it should it hurts it should because if if if, if you don't if you're not feeling pain you didn't grow right now i'm i mean what i'm doing is is um it it's helped me to fill in spaces um that i didn't have any information for it. It's, you know, it's fleshing it out because, uh, you know, when I first came across anything that had to do with any of this stuff, it, at first I was just like, Oh, okay. Well, like these, these people were just like some like, um, religious sect. And they'd... cause when you go to the cloister, like they take, um, I think when I was in like second, third grade, we went like, to the cloister for a field trip. And the only thing I remember from that field trip is they said that they, the, the people who lived there used to wake up at 12 midnight every night to see if Jesus came back. And I was like, I would always just kind of look at it like, okay, so what was this? Is this is like a religious sect or something like that? So you don't understand that there's, power there like you don't understand the power of uh the beliefs of the people because it's like now these people not only are they affecting you know effort but it affects 
this area, and then you see that this area's effect on the nation, mm-hmm. and then on the planet. And it's just really interesting to to, to even like, because it's Ephrata, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's Ephrata. Like it's when I used to tell when I tell, <laughs> I was doing stand up. Um, I did like an open mic not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there was a part where I was, like, talking about how I was from Ephrata and, like, Lancaster County. And, like, there were some people in the crowd, and they, like, started clapping. And I was like, don't don't clap for that shit. Like, don't, don't, what are you clapping for? Like, you've been there. There's horse and buggies. Like, there's nothing crazy going the on. The Green there. Dragon. That's what we're clapping for. the Green for? Dragon, yeah. you know? That, oh, the Green Dragon. That got me, I heard about some place, the Green Dragon Tavern. Tavern, was that mm-hmm. in Boston? Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know, like... I, I still didn't know if that had any connection to the Green Dragon because I was looking it up, but it synchromistically it does. It seems it seems to be connected, but not like <laughs> not, I mean, like, not, not like not like, yeah. like a literal reality. Yeah, no. Of like no, but like that's what and that's that's where I think this gets so interesting is because there's a lot of this which is like tangible and real and it's the same organiz- same organizations and we still didn't even cover half the stuff. But the other stuff is like, there's no, there's no way that was planned. There's no way that it was planned that I would be living there. You know, and so... It became for you to figure out. Mm-hmm. Because you had the stimulus... Like, you, you, you were thinking about these kinds of things. And then you were in a place where you could investigate it. You know, that that's... If I wasn't in effort I don't think I would care about the cloister at all. Exactly. Like, I don't think I, I just don't think it would even register. Because, I mean, you just, <laughs> you drive by the place, like, oh, this is an old building over there. <laughs> you don't yeah. even know that it's some, it's some of the last remaining Rosicrucian architecture in the country. Like, you don't know. It's, it makes you realize that there is an entire power structure and the world is set up in ways that is so far beyond like what the average mm-hmm. person is like paying attention to that really you're just kind of you're just like a lab rat or something you're just kind of you're just in somebody else's dream so to speak like for the third time you could remove the word kind of I'm all, kind, <laughs> I say kind of to, re, to just soften it I say kind of to, to soften things to people like it, it's it's a conditioning tool I learned that you're, living in effort you're, you're one of, <laughs> I, just, I mean I, 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 I mean it's silly people. when you say that like you're you're absolutely right but I mean if people knew if people knew if they heard like you know state sponsored magic you know they're like you're nuts I'm like, why does every military across the planet use the five-pointed star on their, on their uniform? Yeah, that, what is what? The Pentagon, I think, is that's one of the. Well, what were you gonna say, bro? No, I, I was like going back to like I remember when I was in high school. I hated Africa. Like I went to Garden Spot. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. Africa. I'm not going to Africa. Like, Everybody man, hates this like place. Those, I don't like Africa. I don't like those people. I'm like, I'm this good. was a heroin capital exactly. of the United States. It was yeah. one of them. Heroin? Heroin. Yeah. I was in high school. This yeah. was in like was in bad. like the 90s. Yeah. This was a heroin capital of the United States. Yep. There was there was this bar um, that uh, Lancaster Drug 
traffickers and Redding drug traffickers would meet at in Re- in in Ephrata. Huh. And there was this boom of heroin, yep. and and it's partly still here because yeah. we, I you know, I have a lot of friends that yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's went I mean, through it. The, the, I mean, that's a problem everywhere right now. It's yeah. a problem everywhere, but it was just wild that it was like a capital. Right. Like, yeah. I remember that being when I was ready to graduate. It was like that was like going on for sure. It was like really bad. A lot of my friends, you know, didn't necessarily wasn't bad in New Holland, I don't think, but like they knew people in effort and it was, <laughs> it was, you know, a problem for sure. The junkies over there. Yeah, well, and plus didn't they have, they had the state troopers here. They don't want any more. No, there used to no, be an no. office over there. They had like three different police stations, you know, branches of the police here. I remember it was pretty bad. Yeah. But, and then, it's just a sleepy town. Like, it's, it's something that you like, if you're driving on 322, you just drive right through it. And you wouldn't understand it's, its historical significance, mm-hmm. but I think that that's probably the story with, you know, just about anything. It's in this world we don't have time to really um, research our surroundings. Mm-hmm. We find ourselves in places, and then we don't like we. You know, my parents had no concept of any of this kinds of stuff, but like. You know, they, you know, they moved here the same year that there was a Klan rally. And I mean, like your surroundings, if you don't check them out, usually are never what they seem to be. (laughs) They're just just not like. This is the 40th parallel. Anything to do with like uh, integrated into like the Egyptian pyramids or anything? Uh, I mean, I would imagine somehow. Yeah. But what this is what I find this is what I find interesting. Um, so if you were to go and look at a world, well, let's start with the United States, and if you were to follow the 40th parallel from from uh, New Jersey all the way to California, um, every state it goes through, the state capital is like plus or minus 10 miles from the exact 40th parallel. Really. Yeah, like you just go and you follow that line. You'll be like, Sacramento's here. And like some of them are like spot on and some of them are like a little bit further away. And so then you go and you continue um, around the globe and you look at that. Uh, there's There's some significant cities. But the one which really captures my attention is it's where Beijing is. And Beijing is like the ancient hidden city of of the east Mm -hmm. you know and that i don't know the history of beijing that well but i know that there was something significant there and like particularly like if you also look at like where it goes through the middle east as well so the the i believe the uh um i believe the pyramids aren't they like right on the 30th parallel i think they're on the 30th exactly somewhere around that i think because i know that or no maybe it's maybe it's 19.5 degree night because i know it's got a significance like 19.5 is like a star tetrahedron uh atlanta and dallas i believe are on the 33rd dallas is definitely on the 33rd because that's like a big deal with like the uh killing of the king and the killing of the king ritual of um of john f kennedy cia is is you know they're right in um in dc what is interesting is where the bay bridge crosses over um the chesapeake bay 
is exactly 39.0000 degrees. So I'm like, all right, that's kind of interesting. Like, that's a bullseye, like, where that was placed. Um, And, like, when you begin, I mean, this is the way I I see it. It's like, I like to go deep. But then I want to bring it back to something which is, like, tangible and real. Because you could spend your whole life and just, like, you know. uh, And... The reason why I think this is is significant is kind of like what you're saying right now. Like, you know, in this time, like, we don't have time to study. We don't have time to know our surroundings. And I would even go one step further. And I would say there is a concerted effort, which is disorienting ourselves from where we are. And I'm going to say that's through the use of GPS. Like quite literally, we are we are seeing a generation of of people who are so disconnected with their surroundings because like they don't need it they don't need to pay attention, and so physically when that happens is going to be mirrored mentally that you are completely like <laughs> you you can be you can be influenced in any sort of ways. Now as we go and we look like we're in. We, there's never been a moment in your life or your life or my life we've not been part of this, but we are in this transition, yeah. like led by technology, which is leading us somewhere, and the changes are happening faster and faster and faster, and you're going to see it like when they flip the switch on 5G, you know, when that becomes real, when the Internet of Things becomes no longer a theory and becomes like something that is real, tangible, tangible, because the Internet of Things is going to run off of 5G. Without 5G, there's no tech, there's no infrastructure for it. That's going to change the environment considerably, like there's going to be a major change. And so... What's happening is happening. Like, you know, you go and you do whatever you're going to do. Um, and that's, that's part of life. But the most significant thing, in my opinion, is like really understanding like where your feet meet the ground. What is in your own background? And then what is the land you're walking on? And like, because that is how, if it is important to you, and this isn't important to everybody, but if it's important for you to stay grounded and to be able to navigate what we have coming before us, um, you have to be able to go back to these like ancient sort of ways of how we once related, which is like understanding our environment, having real human interaction, like actually looking someone in the eye. And, and that's how we're going to still be able to hold our ground during this transition, whatever this transition is. I think these, I think this kind of stuff becomes important when you, I don't want to call it um, uh, being on a like a save the world mission because it's not that. But I, you know, from just to listen to you talk and the energy you give off, you intend on leaving the earth a better place by the time you die than it was before. You, you, you're, you're. That takes a certain level of consciousness, you know. There's a lot of people who can't care about these things, who can't even entertain any of these ideas. But I think these things become important when you're looking for answers to remedy certain things that are kind of happening now. Like, 
you figure somebody like Francis Bacon or somebody, you know, these these uh, geniuses of the past, that these people, um, they must have seen things like this. And I think, uh, you know, I often wonder if um, the entire, I guess, uh, secret society uh, type of uh, groups, I wonder if, you know, they're, they're trying to communicate something to people who can understand it. People, because I mean, if you don't raise the consciousness of the people, then the world just goes to trash, and that's kind of where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in the midst of things that are trying to limit human consciousness. So, uh, I mean, I wonder. Often, there, you know, Freemasons and things like that. These people become vilified, and they're saying, "Oh, well, these people—they're controlling the world and all this stuff." But I've always kind of looked at it like, what if these people were just like smarter than other people and were trying to communicate things through time to people who could pick up on those messages? I I, I think that's a bullseye. I think that's what's happening. And Francis know? Bacon literally, in his writings, that's what he said. He, he called it hide and seek. And he said that, uh, and I, I believe it's like from a psalm or something where it says that it's it's God's joy to hide his treasure and it's the king's joy to to find it. Hmm. And so like that's part of like, you know, I quote unquote the game of life is like the joy of like high of like finding like the mysteries, Adventure. finding the treasure. Yeah. And so Francis Bacon quite literally took that as a a a directive in terms of um in terms of uh uh how how he conveyed information mm. and he wrote about it he called it hide and seek in this book right here there's like a quote let's see there if i have it on this Francis right here uh and the quote Oh, these are the three right here. We, these are the three principles or goals of the Rosicrucians. Hmm. But the quote, which I wanted to say from, from Manly P. Hall, and he wrote this like in 1928, he said that the, the significance of the Baconian mystery is becoming more apparent with each day. And I'm like, I remember the first time I read it. I'm like, there's a Baconian mystery. Yeah, yeah. What I'm like, mean? and it's becoming more apparent. Like, how come no one's talking about this? And but, but this like, is Baconian. <laughs> but I'm like, but but it just like clicked to, in something like, uh, like, yeah, just like what you're saying. Like, there is there is a communication. Yeah, there is, and whether that's conscious or not, I mean, this is my opinion because I've come to my own understanding of my, I've I've seen it in myself. That I've done something and consciously I'm thinking I'm doing something for whatever reason. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing it for this. And then I've come to realize like, no, I did it for another reason completely different than what I was aware <laughs> of. But that's how we're working. Yeah. And work like that. I, that takes a little bit of humility for a person to think like I'm running on a system that I don't even realize I'm running on. It does. But yeah. once you trust that, well, then it's like, you know, there's a whole new ball game. That and then is, you, yeah. you could go back and you can look at yourself and other people in life in general with maybe a different perspective. When you start to look at it like, um, <laughs> when you start to look at life like it's just like this big video game. You're just like, oh, oh, I can make things happen, you know. But all of that is attributed to consciousness. All of that is, con I mean, there's everybody, 
you don't even have to be like poor and destitute to be that lacking of uh, consciousness. You could be relatively, you know, uh, well off and have no real understandings of the world around you. No, um, I guess, I guess what you could call no spiritual inclination, no, no, uh, want to dive into the depths of life. And, uh, yeah, I think that w- with what you're doing, you know, with with Susquehanna Alchemy, I mean, when I when I went on that page, it was like a it was like bing, it was like like a, there was a light that went off because it let me know that I wasn't cuz I, I would tell people about all this effort and stuff when you first started finding out about it, tell tell my parents about it and they're just looking at me like, "What why are you even like reading this? Like what you need to go like you need to go do an application or something like that. Like your but, parents should talk to my parents because they have the same conversation. Yeah, have the same conversation. Like, what do you even? But, um, but you know, you, I, I kept trying to, I wasn't trying to beat it into my parents, but I was trying to get them to understand. Like, there is, there is plenty to be excited about in life. There's plenty to like. The wonder is. Uh, a, a, a shift of your <laughs> uh, attitude away at all times at all times if you if you start to really tune into like um just just if you say yes when you would say no regularly i feel like that's when you like you jump dimensions like you start because <laughs> you you start doing all this other stuff then you can think about like man if I would have just said like no to that then none of that would happen. You ever <laughs> see that movie with Jim Carrey where he has to say Yeah, yes man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He has to say yes to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes and man. It's just and like he, all of a sudden he's in like it spiraled out of control. Yeah. But it was not a mundane life. No. You know, and that's what I think most people I watch it. Life takes it out of people, you know. When you can see when a person's lost their wonder. Yeah, when the, it's there's a certain look in and in in a person's eye, I've watched it leave so many people, yeah. and it's one of the scare. It's scary to me. It's scary to become something that no longer has wonder. <laughs> the so, thought of possibilities. Yes, numerous possibilities. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think. You know, I think this is a good place. I th- if we say any more, we might explode somebody's head. Well, Definitely, yeah. this is probably a mind. good time to like, yeah, wrap it up. Yeah. I, I'd like yeah. to to share like maybe oh, yeah. a couple last things though. No, so definitely. Anything. So right here, uh, this here is I got one for you too, Rob. Um, it's a guidebook of the area. It's called the Rights mm-hmm. of the 40th Parallel, and so the purpose of this is to like take all of this like. This is my personal opinion. This location, which we're talking about, it's within two and a half hours of the largest population center of the earth, like Boston to Washington, D.C. And that tells me it's meant to be explored and experienced in whatever way feels right. We're seeing at the exact same time as, like, this is coming about, like, you know, me writing this guidebook, uh... The location of Columbia Marietta Wrightsville. It just got a national recreational uh, 
categorization from Washington, D.C., like one step beneath like a national park. Like there's all of this energy which is coming to the area to be explored. There's like the, I don't know if you've been to the the Northwest Lancaster Trail. There's so much like kind of coming there because the way I see it, that it's meant to be experienced and explored in different ways. So that being said, it's like, you know, I know these places. I've, I've gone through my own sort of research and I've identified. I've identified the different places and I've created like a framework. I went out to, uh, to Sedona, Arizona like 10 or 15 years ago. And mm-hmm. like I heard everyone's like, oh, you got to go to the Vortexes. I'm like, all right, I want to go to Vortex. And I go out there. I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, well, there's Vortex over there. I'm like, and then what? You know, I was looking for, I was like, give me something to work with. Something I just try. Feel, yeah. And so that's what this is. So this will give you like, like it will tell you exactly where to go. Like this is where you park. This is what you look for. This is what you're seeing physically. And this is what it is a mirror reflection of, of the non-physical world. Wow. And it's my hope that, you know, this can act as a, as like a, a priming of the pump for like people to have like, a deeper experience than maybe just like, you know, walking on a trail with like headphones on and like not paying attention. Like that's what I would like to do is like to, to recreate like, or to create an experience for people to, um, to come and, and see this area that we're talking about and have their own personal experience and have their own subjective understanding. When I when I went I took my family to High Point um when we did that a couple weeks ago um there was something there's a di- just by knowing that it had a greater significance it changed the experience for me personally my 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 son he didn't want to walk all the way up there he, <laughs> like I I had to carry him like three times up he's my daughter, she said that if she, if if we wouldn't carry her, she was just gonna stand by the one rock. So she, so we just left her for a little bit. I had to go back and get her, but um, no, it was it. But to me, you know, it was there was a when you walk when you're walking up the you know the winding trail, the spiral, the spiral. When you're walking up that, and then finally when you get to the top, you're like. Uh, I I get the sensation that significant people have stood here and this has meant something to those people. It's just, it's, it's apparent. It's apparent. It's just apparent. It's it's, apparent. I mean, it it was, it was interesting. I mean, you would never think like, because, you know, people talk about like Stonehenge and all these different monolithic sites and stuff. But I wouldn't, until I heard him on the podcast talk about that, I would never think that there was, uh, you know, anything that had any kind of significance like that close to almost makes you think it's more significant than anything else. Yeah, because it's the significance hasn't been of it. About. Yeah, because people like you, I agree with you. You know, the fact that like you said that when you did that search, that nobody had talked about the uh, inverted 40. forty. Yeah, yeah. Like the fact that nobody said that means to me that that was meant that was like that was for you so to speak like it was for you i mean if it was for someone else 
then they would have said would've something. Proof is in the pudding. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was for you, and uh, you know this. I'm so glad you gave me this because yeah. it's giving me some. Give me. I appreciate this. Yeah. Because there's a there's a lot of ex- exploration. I, I'm trying to get my kids. Oh, it's it's out my to pl- it's my pleasure. <laughs> and anyone who's interested, they can come to my website at Susquehanna Alchemy and and. They can order this, or if they want Definitely to support this, to if site. they want to support this work which I'm doing, like that's one of the ways they can do it. And I also do something which is known as a starboard session, where I've created this kind of like based upon someone's astrology, the mm-hmm. same level of 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 attention and intention and energy which I bring to understanding this. I bring to explaining someone's personal story with the macrocosm or the placement of the planets mm-hmm. when they were born. And that also, you can find that on my website. And that's another way which you can get a more personal experience, but then also it's a way which you can support the work which I do. So if anyone's interested, I definitely would. Um, that's, a, that's a nice way to, um, to continue this, this conversation. That's, we'll have all that information in we'll the have description. All that information, Thank so. you. Because you should definitely go check out SusquehannaAlchemy.com. Definitely if you're from Pennsylvania. Because... You're not you know, far. You're not far from it, and it's it and it's so important. There's such such importance there that it's kind of like uh, it's certainly not talked about in school. There, you know, I didn't I didn't learn anything about even the cloister when I was in school and I live in Ephrata. So it's like they're not te- they're not. This isn't uh, something that people are saying every day, and it's significant. It's it's very significant. So, if there's anything else you want to say, man, say what you say. Say what you want to say, man. Well, I want to thank you both for having me on here. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and this is the first podcast I've got to do face to face. Yeah. Most of them That's are important. done like over Skype or something, and it's so much nicer to do this and to like deal to, like, with freezing and, and stuff. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and so so thank you to that and like. Listeners, if you know you, you're here two hours and seventeen minutes into it, you know my hat's uh, off to you because yeah. this is intense stuff. It's intense stuff, but it's like if this is scratching an itch, like if this captures your attention, like definitely go to the website, go to YouTube and look at the videos. You go to Instagram. I do a lot of like. Well, I th- I think the Instagram stuff's the most interesting. Like I like to do that. Like that's the most. That's what I'm doing more regularly, but um, that's a way which you can stay on top of this and you can go and and, uh, um, learn more about the details and really get synchronized with it. I I concur. Yes. I concur. And thank you for coming on, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for coming. That was an education for me. I was (laughs) a shot in the dark because I was like, man, I wonder if he'll do this podcast. (laughs) But uh, I'm so glad that you came on because that was that. This is definitely I. We you know we haven't listened back to it, but this is definitely one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> Every time I listen back, I, it's it's I learn. I don't even realize as it's going the podcast is going on, and then I listen back. I was like, oh, I didn't. Even, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know. So I mean, I usually end up listening to it at least two or three times by the time I get it uh, like edited and everything. So. Rob, do you have anything that you need to say to the folks? No, I, the I'm millions and millions of down, people. I down there. my head. My head hurts. <laughs> I feel like definitely got a, a history lesson in uh, that I never got before, for sure. So. Well, I do want to throw this in, and that's about that. 
uh, little fast break. Little fast breaks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much, I I started record like I do a little recording during like my break at work. I was I was I was a little angry about just the entire work situation <laughs> the other day, so I I'm gonna start this little little section of a little uh, thing called fast breaks where I just like talk on breaks and stuff, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping that you know people will check that out. I mean, it is just me kind of rambling at work, but I mean, sometimes I ramble on here, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but uh. Mike, once again, thank you for ha- thank you for coming on, and uh, definitely we'll have all his information there yep, for you guys yep, to check down out. In the description. So, thank you, and uh, it was a, it was definitely one of my favorites for sure. Absolutely. So we'll see you guys next time. Be cool out there. Later. Later on. <laughs>